for Utica. Archibald down the wing, drop pass. It is a chance for DeFazio! Fazio and then Jeffrey behind the goal. A line that started to put something together last night finally broke through today. Padon with a shot. Rebound there. Save made. DeFazio scores! Just 18 seconds into the period. Brandon DeFazio with his second of the game and Utica has a 2-0 lead. Now by Gervais. Cross ice to Siemens and he got shut down by Archibald and then DeFazio strips him. A chance for the hat trick. Forehand scores! Three minutes and 46 seconds into the second period. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome to episode 67, actual episode 88, and this is part two of my interview with Brandon DeFazio. want to thank everybody for their kind words and their feedback on part one. Uh, Brandon was awesome. Uh, what a character, and um, you know, it was a real pleasure to do the interview, and uh, today for you people, I bring part two. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. First, if you're on social media, if you're on Twitter and you'd like to follow the show on social media, on Twitter, the uh, account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. Uh, everything you need to know about the show, everything you need to know on a daily basis regarding Islander enforcers, Islanders organizational enforcers, will be on those accounts. Uh, so definitely uh, follow them, like them, friend them, whatever it is that you do on all those platforms. And um, you know, if you like the show, you will like the social media aspect of the show. The, uh, the logo for the show, and uh, I'm going to say this every episode, so for you regular listeners, you probably know this name by heart, but local Long Island artist Joe Marisich 
has drawn the logo for this program, and uh, I'd like to promote him in every episode. Joe is a great artist. He can do uh, more than tunes, uh, and uh, he is available for hire. So if you have an art project that you need done by someone who's pretty awesome at it, you can reach Joe at GraphicsJoker on Twitter or at LoudEgg.com. And if you like that logo and you feel like wearing it around town on a t-shirt, on a hoodie, on leggings, on socks, uh, got stuff to carry, carry it in totes, uh, whatever it is about that logo that you really like and you'd like to buy some merchandise, well, I have that too. So if you scroll down past the episode description of this very episode that you are listening to, you will see two links. One is for the classic logo and one is for the alternate logo. And um, I'm having some issues with the links. Somebody, a uh, uh, friend of the show, let me know that uh, he couldn't access, I think, the alternate logo. And I'm trying to rectify that. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, it is rectified. But if you are interested in ordering merchandise and you can't access via those links, please let me know. And I will try to effort that swiftly and as soon as possible. And since you are a listener to this program, you are eligible for a listener-exclusive discount. Code 20DeFazio will get you 20% off your entire order. So fill up that shopping cart, and when you check out, enter code 20DeFazio, 20-D-E-F-A-Z-I-O, 20% off your order right then and there. And that code is good for one week. It will expire on November 8th. 2021. Also, if you like this program, you will probably like a couple of other programs I'd like to bring to your attention. I'm sure you already know about them, but they both deserve another mention. Fourth Line Voice podcast with my friend Darren up in Saskatoon. Congratulations, my friend, on selling your condo. It'll be nice for you to uh, make your fresh start in the house. And I know uh, the uh, last few months have been very aggravating. Very aggravating for you and the missus, but uh, I'm very happy for you. I've never been through that before, but I hear it is very, very stressful. But good luck with uh, with your new house. And uh, when Darren isn't shopping his condo, he does a podcast, The Fourth Line Voice. Darren's latest episode is The Sunday Shit Show. I've spoken about them before. It's when he rants at the clouds, yells out the window, Basically, what the young kids would call a boomer, like I am. Uh, now, I have not listened to it yet, uh, but I'm sure it is aces like they all are. His previous episode, which was released last Wednesday, was the five toughest opponents of Marco Cefalo. Marco was a, a guest on his show, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe last year or several months ago. And uh, really, really great guest. He's uh He's very good on the mic. He has good answers. Uh, very well spoken. Uh, so I would definitely recommend you check out the full length interview with Marco Cefalo and definitely check out Marco Cefalo's five toughest opponents. Darren, of course, is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. He does two episodes a week. Midweek is uh, are his player interviews. And on Sunday is the Sunday shit show. Definitely, if you have not listened to any of those episodes, definitely Give him a listen. It's well worth your time, as he is the OG of the Enforcer podcasting genre. And also what Darren does when he's not shopping his condo and recording episodes, he is in charge of the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. 
I believe we're uh, well over 2,600 fights on that channel. And once he moves, I'm sure he's going to be an uploading maniac. So while he is sort of in uploading limbo, it's a good time to hit that channel. Check out all the fights that are on there. Subscribe. You know you've watched fights on YouTube. And you know, well, you may not know, but you probably have watched them on the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. So check out the show. Check out the YouTube channel. And enjoy the content. The Five for Fighting podcast with my friend Alec Olin Salen down in Florida, or as Darren has dubbed him, part-time Oli. Well, he's back. Uh, uh, Alec has had a lot going on lately. Uh, some good, some not so good, but he's back. He released an episode last week uh, detailing all of the trials and tribulations, the uh, explanation for his absence, and um, he's back. Definitely check it out. Make sure that you sign up for the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Alec is in charge of that. And Alec does Facebook Live episodes where he'll have a guest on or he'll just do a solo episode. And they're interactive. And uh, apparently they're fun. I never seem to catch them, but I always listen. I think he releases them the following Tuesday. So uh, join the Enforcer Appreciation page so you're uh, ready to go when Alec does his live episodes. And if you miss them, do like I do. Catch them on Tuesday. So to recap, 4th Line Voice podcast, 4th Line Voice YouTube channel, 5 for Fighting podcast, Enforcer Appreciation group on Facebook. Make sure you check out all that stuff. Fistic awesomeness at your fingertips from both of those gentlemen. Don't miss it. Catch up if you're behind. You will not be disappointed. You like this streamline intro. I know I like it. I'm almost halfway done already, or I'm probably more than halfway done. It's now time for the 2021-22 Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders. I'm not going to get used to that anytime soon. Fight report. Starting with the Bridgeport Islanders, we have two editions since I last spoke to you. On October 17th, 2021, Andy Andreoff fought Tyler Tucker of Springfield and five days later, again, a game against Springfield, Eric Brown versus Josh Wesley. So those are your updated fights for Bridgeport. Those two fights bring the total for the year, including preseason, to three. Regular season, of course, is still two. For the Islanders, they have two entries into this latest update, both by number 17, Matt Martin. On October 19th against the Blackhawks, Matt Martin duked it out. I'm going to try to say this name. Hopefully I don't butcher it. Uh, Juhar Kiara fought him on Chicago, uh, yeah, on Chicago on October 19th. And four days later, he fought against an, an easier name to say, Liam O'Brien of the Arizona Coyotes. So that those are your first two entries to the New York Islanders 2021-22 fight report. So that brings their season total, of course, up to two. I don't have a lot to talk about this week. There is something I would like to uh, I would like to mention because uh, all right. So this is not a, a hockey Twitter thing. I, although I guess it it, it is uh, depending on which team you follow because. Uh, I think every 
team has a portion of the fan base that uh, oof, trying to put it. Well, you know. So the Islanders have a few lightning rods on the team. Uh, right now, two of them are in Bridgeport. Michael Del Cole is always someone who uh, who the fan base is divided on or seems to be a whipping boy. Uh, Leo Komarov, again, um, always, always uh, in the sights for the fans' ire. And, you know, listen, I, I'm no great Leo Komarov fan, but after the job he did last year, uh, being put up on that first line. He's not a first liner, but I don't know what else that guy could have done. Yet the fans still, I, I think fans think you just put up on that first line, you're going to score 50. I don't know. But uh, again, I have no great love for Leo. I, Leo is, is another player that I, I'll root for him. He's on my team. But uh, I mean, I, I still don't know to this day what fans expect from this guy. And I think he did an amazing job last year. So, but of course, one of the biggest targets from a segment of Islander fans is the big man, Ross Johnston. Now, the news came down this week that Ross Johnston signed a four-year contract extension. I believe it's $1.1 million per year. I, for one, am very happy with that. And uh, I know there are a lot of fans, despite what you read on social media, and again, I remind you, not that you need reminding, but maybe I'm just saying it for my own edification. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, very small portion of society. They People think once you're on Twitter, obviously, well, some people think they're insiders. Some people think they're scouts. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, influencers. But the reality is it's not a big portion of society. Now, of course... I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth right now because I'm about to talk to you about some of the comments by some of the Islanders fans regarding this signing. But the Islanders announced the signing on October 26th. And uh, wow. All right. So uh, I'm just going to scroll down and read you some of the comments. Uh, let's see. Of course, there are some people that love it, as they should. Okay. Uh, there is someone, uh, wait, what is this? Laughing my ass off. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 uh, then there's the GIF with, um, Ryan Reynolds. I guess he was a surgeon or some sort of thing, but why? Uh, let's see. Then there's another one. What? Uh, let's see. Uh, ba -ba let's see. Let's see. Um, this is insane. Why? With the some sort of emoji with big bug eyes. Uh, let's see. Someone says, keep questioning Lou and you'll get a six-year extension for Leo in your stockings. Uh, let's see. Uh, da -da. Uh, better be like league minimum. We shouldn't have given him one million plus on his last contract. He is literally Matt Martin 2.0. Uh, then there's another GIF where the guy's bunch of question marks. Uh, there's a Dave Chappelle GIF with huh. There's three question marks. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Mm. What? And the person couldn't be bothered to actually spell out what. It was W-U-T. Then there was erm what. Then there was some laughing emojis. 
Uh, let's see what else. What else? There is one that I'm going to is going to make the headliner. Uh, let's see. Someone went. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Then someone is accusing Lou of announcing the signing with what was going on with the Blackhawks. I guess maybe to hide it. Uh, I don't know, but uh, okay. Then there was the nope, don't like that, Michael Scott. Let's see. Then someone says, I'm guessing this is to scare teams away from claiming him off waivers, but still, man, what the heck? And then there's Lou. What the fuck, man? Then there's a laughing dog. Uh, let's see. Four years for Johnston. Yikes. Why? Wait, what? Let's see. Let me get to the one. Oh, here we go. Checks calendar. Nope, not April 1st. That, of course, is uh, is a standard one for people that think they're clever, uh, but not really. Let's see. Uh, wow, when I first saw this, thought he was getting waived because he don't want to fight anymore. LOL. Well, that's not true. So let's see. Uh, I like this one, though. Now that you've paid the man, play the man. So I, I do like that one. There's a few LMAOs. Uh, let's see. I'm so excited to get Tarasenko. This is going to put them over the top. Uh, what? Okay. Um, what? Four years, overpayment. Where is the one? Uh, let's see. We clearly gave him this extension so we can freely put him on waivers whenever we want. No one will take Ross Johnston on for this year and four more years. Well, like, uh, a few of the actual insiders, people that actually get paid, uh, have stated already that there is interest, interest uh, from other teams regarding Ross Johnston, but I guess the person in their parents' basement on Twitter knows more. Let me see. Let's see. There is one, and I I should be better prepared for this, and I'm not, and I'm sorry. Let's see. He was already waiver-proof on account of being bad at the sport of hockey. Well, all right then. Um, I guess this person knows everything. Um, <laughs> I I just you know, and and I've said this before about Ross. Uh, Ross Johnston has the full support of the Islanders organization. There are many people in this organization that love Ross, have faith in Ross, and um, you know I I don't understand what people don't get. They they believe that he is a one-dimensional fighter at this point, and that's just not the case. There are no more one-dimensional fighters in the NHL. It's just not the way it is. But there are still some people who just refuse, refuse to give this guy the credit that he deserves for all the work he's put in. Uh, again, they never really paid attention to him in Bridgeport, I'm guessing, uh, because uh, when he came to the Islander organization, big raw bone kid from PEI, the hard work that he's put in since he's been here, I mean, it's 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 night and day. It's night and day. His footwork is better. His hands are better. Um, you know, and, you know, here's the thing that none of these chuckleheads realize. Uh, Ross is very popular with the boys. So he he's a guy that comes in. He plays. He doesn't play. He'll sit for a week. He'll sit for a week and a half, two weeks. Never complains. Just does what he's told. Which it's just he's an ultimate teammate the guy could sit for two weeks and if on the first or second shift something uh wheels fall off or something and he has to go in and take care of business of course he's going to do it he does it without complaining he does it no questions asked but again 
It's not just about the fighting. All right, the Islanders are a team that employs physical players on their fourth line. He's, I guess, an insurance policy right now for that, and he does other things as well. So personally, I'd love to see them at certain points during the season put him out on the power play and just stick his big ass in front of the net and see what happens. What do you have to lose? Honestly, what do you have to lose? Put this monster in front of the net, and uh, and we'll see what happens. So I am going to keep searching for this one tweet. Again, I'm sorry for this. Uh, and if I can't find it right away, I'm going to pause this and then return. But I have to find this because it was probably the most embarrassing tweet here that I read. And it's from a man, apparently. Uh, a grown man, I believe. I think he has kids, which was scary. Um, but all right. So what I'm going to do right now is pause because this has to be very boring. So hang on one second. Okay. So it took a few minutes, and I'm glad I put you on pause because if you didn't tune out, you would have because, uh, what a pain in the ass finding it. But I found the tweet, and hopefully you'll find it worth the wait. So here we go. So somebody uh, basically echoed what I just said, that he would have gotten claimed by somebody. Because contrary to what some people think, Ross Johnston can play hockey and Ross Johnston can fight and Ross Johnston is a good team guy. And I know because you can't measure uh, good in the room uh, with an uh, analytic. Some people are quick to dismiss that, but you know, he's a great teammate. Just ask anybody on the team. Uh, ask Matt Barzal, ask Pellick, ask Pulak, ask any of the people you guys love if they like having Ross on the team. And I guarantee you with Jess, but Someone had said Ross would have gotten claimed by somebody guaranteed. And then the answer was, and oh, I'm getting douche chills just attempting to read this, but I'm going to try it anyway. In reality, that is probably true. Only because if there is one thing that unites the old hockey men that make up the NHL's coaching core, it's that they'll willingly make their teams worse as long as Punch Man goes punch punch now i'm embarrassed that i read that and i'm embarrassed that you had to hear me read that i'm going to try to translate translate this because oh god now my guess is that the person that wrote this has never been in a fight in their life ironically i'm going to guess that if he had been even close to an altercation, somebody would have jumped in to defend him. Because usually when people talk like this, they don't speak from experience. But anyway, I also think this is somebody who probably tweets a lot about politics. And it's probably really, really heavy on one side. I don't know. I won't go to his Twitter account. But that's my guess. Um... He uses the term old hockey men in quotes. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you say about that? Wh who who should be coaching? S soccer ladies? Who should be coaching? Who should be coaching? Construction workers? You would think that you'd want hockey men coaching your team because you have a hockey team i think he was trying to be cute there and i'm not going to put words in his mouth 
but it almost sounds like the hockey equivalent to the people who are woke and always tweet about old white men. Everything is old white men's fault. I'm again, not putting words in his mouth, but to me, that's how it sounds. Okay. Finally, the clever line punch man goes punch punch. Now, my guess is when he's in his group of friends, if he says that, they all laugh and chuckle and throw around awkward high fives, half of them actually connecting and think that, oh, man, this guy is so funny, so clever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So this is the kind of stuff that exists on Twitter, which is why <laughs> Dave Chappelle brings up a great point. Twitter isn't real. Okay, this is just a group of people, myself included. I'm not I'm not above any of this shit. When I post on Twitter, it's basically me talking to myself and maybe hoping someone will overhear it. I don't know. But this is embarrassing. So I don't think Ross Johnston listens to this program. I wish he would, but I don't think he does. But Ross, in case you are listening to this program, congratulations on the contract extension. You are worth every penny for what you do for this team on the ice and off the ice. You are a leader, you are a team player, and you put yourself at risk every time you drop the gloves for one of your teammates. So from this Islander fan, I would just like to thank you very much, and I hope you're with this organization a long time. Thank you, Ross Johnston. Now, what what is it time for now? Well, now it's time for part two of my interview with Brandon DeFazio. I hope you people enjoy it. We get the Bridgeport season up and running. We talked about how you were the uh, the honorary cousin uh, of the, uh, the the two savages from PEI, uh, but but you did some damage yourself that year. Yeah, I think you had a pretty good year dropping the gloves. Um, your first fight with Bridgeport that year in the regular season was against uh, Mike Banwell of Worcester, and that was a wide open uh, wide open bout. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember it because. Uh, Brock Nelson got me into that one, I think, and he, uh, I think he shot the puck after the whistle, you know, so they kind of went after him, so, but I was thankful that I got Van Hall and not Machinter, so I was, <laughs> I was all right, I was all right from that standpoint, because Machinter's a killer, so, uh, yeah, but Brock, Brock owes me a beer still for that, so he can thank me later. <laughs> Uh, also, um, after that one, you had your first of two rounds that year with Nick Delorier, who was with Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember those bouts with Nick? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, he, you know, I think he was still trying to find it. I mean, who he is today wasn't who he was then, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, he was a big guy and, and certainly knew what he was doing. And uh, I, I had a pretty good understanding of that. But um, I, he ran me over, like, late late in a game in Manchester and I was pissed about it and uh, I didn't like the idea of one of the cousins having to figure it out you know like mm-hmm. I felt I could figure it out myself so I, I challenged him right away the first shift the next game and uh, not not a great fight you know like his um, like his jersey over his head and and then the, you know the second time uh, we, we were down late in the game and I knew he wanted a piece of me back because mm-hmm. you know it wasn't a great uh, a great tilt the first time and uh, I figured, you know, he was probably foaming at the mouth. You know, probably shouldn't. He probably shouldn't have fought, considering we were. I think we we're 
down, you know, on the road. And uh, anyways, I got the shit kicked out of me, I would say, you know, on that one. Uh, you know, not, not necessarily too bad, you know, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you take it for granted because you do well in the first one or whatever. That's kind of the way it goes. It's not not how I felt. I definitely didn't take it for granted. But, you know, you let your guard down a little. And he certainly, as we're seeing now, you know, maybe that fight set him up to be like, hey, like, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I'm not I'm not sure. You'd have to ask him. But uh, he's done He's done a pretty amazing job sticking around the NHL now doing that. So, uh, yeah. So, so he would probably owe you a beer as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I was actually thinking that. I'm like, shit, like, you know, it was a good fight. You know, he, he definitely won, and then that's fine. And I, and I knew that, and it's all good. You know, I stood in there, and I felt the refs could have maybe stayed out a little longer, and I could have gone myself back in because I tried to switch to the left, and that was a bad idea because I just ended up eating them, and I was trying to get back, you know, and stay stay with. And I obviously got hit a few times, but I was still fine. So mm-hmm. I thought... You know, I thought I could recover and maybe gain some energy back with, you know, not win the fight, but, you know, show show some good energy and get the boys going and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, but I often think, like, how well he's done. I'm not sure how much more he fought. And, like, you would know better, like, if this numbers kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure, but he definitely, you know, changed his game completely, you know, from that point to where he's at now. And now he's, uh, you know, he's up there fighting the big dog, so... Yeah, so I would say that uh, when you next time you're back in North America, you got to hook up with Brock. You got to hook up yeah. with uh, Delorier. You could yeah. be uh, shit hammered for weeks with all these people that owe you beers. I don't. I don't hate that, Joe. I don't hate the idea of it. You know, my local local pub by in Oakville. Uh, I can just sit there and they can come on in and buy buy a few rounds. They they're certainly both not short on money, so I think they'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. Well, when you yeah. go to a pub in Oakville, can't you throw around mm. Eric Cairns' name and uh, and get uh, all the beer you want? Isn't he like uh, he's got to be one of the most favorite sons? I would think. I think Kerensey's a Burlington guy more so than Oakville, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But okay. you know, he's the area for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kerensey's a he's a beauty man. Yeah. He's a, he was a great guy. He was really good to me. You know, mm-hmm. I really actually miss that guy a lot. I, I should reach out and talk to him a few times. But he's uh, just a gentle giant. And, you know, really really helped me this year. We're you know we're speaking to so. Uh, I know you're definitely going to remember this. Uh, when you play the way you play, uh, yeah. suspensions are a part of it. And uh, you were suspended yeah. six games. Uh, you came mm-hmm. off the bench against Connecticut. Uh, Brandon right. Siegel had uh, boarded Matt Donovan pretty good. So take me through mm-hmm. that whole scenario. Man, just just one of those. I, I think it was originally actually 12-game suspension, which was, you know, just insane. Yeah. Um, you know, that got reduced to six, which was still a lot, right? You know, like. But that was an automatic one, you know, if you came off the bench. And, you know, in my head, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I consciously made the decision to leave before someone, you know, I just figured someone would be coming off and the wires cross. And obviously Donovan was a big prospect for New York. And and I felt like something should be done immediately. And obviously a mistake to come off the bench, but something I don't, I don't regret. You know, it's one of those things that's, if it's your character, then you just react on instincts and, and shit happens. I mean, that's that's the way the game goes. You know, I could have done without the losing two weeks pay and, you know, doing bag skates with Boganicki all, uh, <laughs> all all Christmas and uh, in December. You know, like it was brutal. Like uh, I remember being in Portland and he was just making me go line to line to line and, you know, just smoking me. So in hindsight, I could have done without that. But, 
you know, the, the fight probably had to happen, maybe pick a better time than, <laughs> than immediately. But, uh, yeah, whatever. Well, and that had a, that also has to go a long way. I mean, listen, your personality is such where I'm sure you were very popular with the boys. The one thing I always say about these Bridgeport teams, seems like they're always a very close-knit group. And I'm sure when you do something like that, uh, that's not where you go to the locker room and they're like, oh, fuck, why'd you do that? That's the kind of thing where everybody mm. appreciates it because, you know, like you say, the wires cross, uh, it's instinct, yeah. it's in it's in your DNA, and you're coming mm. to the the uh, defense of a teammate. So that has to go a long way in the locker room. Well, I, I, I always thought there too, like with Bridgeport, like you always knew all these guys were always going to do things for you. I mean, the, there was, you know, Bridgeport always has some of the toughest teams in the league, if not always the toughest, right? So... Right. You know, when you see these guys doing it continuously for other people, it's just, you know, you kind of buy into that where you say, hey, listen, you're the next man up. You can, you know, like if Brett Galant goes and grabs a guy like that, maybe it's a mismatch, whereas, you know, maybe it matches up better for me. And I felt, you know, if, if those guys are going to put it on the line, then there's there has to be points where, you know, I, I pulled the rope too, right, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, uh, you know, those were the situations I felt I could handle. And obviously the big boys and shit, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't mess around with that because I didn't have the skill set, but, um, you know, I wanted to be part of it and, and do the best I could. So um, the unfortunate thing whenever I interview anyone that played in Bridgeport this season is uh, this was the the season where the unfortunate um, Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting happened. And uh, I know the mm-hmm. team the team was very involved uh, with uh, – I think yeah. did a jersey auction, did a lot of different things. Um, what do you remember from that that time? Uh, being, um, you know, at a loss for words, you know, that was probably the most, uh, I remember about the feeling for sure. Uh, you know, a point of, uh, how, you know, how can you really say the right or, or do the right thing in something so drastically wrong with the world. And, uh, you know, it makes me emotional thinking about it right now to be completely honest with you, Joe. It's, uh, you know, I got kids now and, uh, I just, truthfully I couldn't imagine uh, what they were going through and um, you know I'm sitting here now with a three-year-old and a newborn Uh, yeah it's uh, you know it's one of those things that really uh, obviously had a a deep impact on our team you know like uh, they they came to the game and you know we obviously wore the kids names on our jerseys and you know I I had one that the parents did come and uh, I was fortunate enough to give them the jersey and I always say in those situations, like, it, um, it's not about what you say. It's just, uh, you know, trying to just be there. You know, you're not going to be able to say the right thing all the time, but just to show support, obviously, uh, go, goes a long way with them. And uh, you can just see the uh, see the stress and emotion in the families. And, uh, you know, it was, it was not the easiest uh, situation to try to... Uh, handle and, and you know you really wanted to try to do the right things to make them smile but uh, at the same time respect what's happened and understand that um, you know it's it's impossible to really figure out what they're going through and so I just said just be there listen uh, you know give give a big hugs you know and uh, and tell them we, we loved them and um, you know it was one of those situations right that's out of everything that that happened, not with the situation, but with the Sound Tigers involvement. Mm-hmm. I think the jerseys with the kids' mm-hmm. names on the back—that's the part that, no matter how how many years 
we get distance from it. When I see a photo of it or I see a video of it, that's the part that always gets me. That's like I can keep it together, but when I see you guys skating around with the kids' names in the back, that's yeah. just that's when I'm like, holy shit! Like that's the part where I I kind of like, okay, this is you know like it yeah. just the emotions come to the surface because it's just so overwhelming so i can't even imagine what it was like to to be in that locker room and you, you come in mm -hmm. that day and you see the jerseys and that's the part mm -hmm. that always always just I, that's where i lose it is is when i see you guys wearing the jerseys with the names on it and you know like you say you can only there's nothing you can really do for the parents but be there mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. you know i can only imagine what what it was like to give the jersey to the you know your jersey to the parents like mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah. like i don't know how you guys held it together to be honest so well i mean we we, we did and we didn't right yeah. you know which is fine you know yeah to, to show each you know to be vulnerable is okay and, oh yeah uh, you know as athletes uh to have the ability to hopefully uh do something you know where a hug can can go a long way and yeah. uh yeah no we were we were obviously you know it's it was tough. I mean, it's tough to see those. I agree with you. You know, seeing seeing the pictures, you know, of us all standing on the blue line with those kids' name, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's it's a crazy, you know, cra brings back crazy emotions. And uh, yeah, you know, it's you know, it was a small thing, that we're, you know, in reality that we could do. And you know, I was glad and, and happy that we could we could do that for them. Uh, so, with uh, as we uh, mentioned earlier, the uh, this was the season of the NHL lockout, and you had alluded yeah. to it earlier. Uh, when the mm -hmm. lockout ended, before the uh, NHL got started, uh, you found yourself skating on the Nassau Coliseum ice. You guys were in mm -hmm. the blue versus white scrimmage, and uh, mm -hmm. so tell me what that's like. It had to be cool because not only are you playing in you know an NHL rank. You're playing, um, you know, wearing well. You were wearing the Bridgeport jersey, but you're playing against the Islanders. But now, you're playing against some of your buddies, and uh, yeah. that, that had to be that had to be a lot of fun. I would think. Well, it, it was it was like super unique, right? Like yeah, that whole situation, obviously, rarely is going to present itself where it, it was a real game uh, with basically our AHL roster missing. You know what I would consider our best players who have obviously we're going to make the Islanders or the guys that had a chance were on their team. So, um, yeah, it was different. Uh, pretty, pretty exciting, you know, for, for us as a team, we were, we were pumped up and, uh, and obviously, you know, I have a relationship with a lot of those guys. And then, you know, I, like I said before, was, you know, Ryan Strom came to play with us and he was a close friend from, from the gym back home. So he was pretty pumped up because, you know, the energy in our room was, uh, you know, it was circus like it was fun. Like we said, you know, we could, we, we're going to, you know, basically fuck this. Like we want, we want to win, you know, if we got to come play this game, we're in season. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we got to travel there and play it and fuck it. Let's just, uh, you know, let's try to win. And, and obviously, you know, we did. Right. So we win the game five, three and, you know, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't hilarious. Like, it was, you know, listen, hockey's hockey, right? I mean, and they hadn't played, and we had played, and whatever. Do they dominate? Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, we squeak out a 5-3 win. But the thing that I didn't like was that I don't know if they were too afraid to post it, but they did a, you know, a useless shootout at the end, and they added those goals on to make it that they won 6-5. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and like reading on Twitter on the way back, the Islanders posting, you know, that they won six five. I'm like, 
no, that that didn't happen at all. You know, like it was just a it was a nothing shootout. So that that pisses me off still to this day because the Sound Tigers they deserve that win in their column and they did it. So oh, I forgot we're taking that one and we ran away with it. I forgot all about that. That's right. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when you resume your your Sound Tiger season, uh, you had mm-hmm. a, you had a good long fight with Ben Blood of Binghamton, which has produced some pretty good pictures. Uh, I don't know, yeah. just one or yeah. two really good pictures of that fight. Uh, what do you remember yeah. about fighting him? Oh, he, I mean, he said, you know, I think he was in a position where he wanted to stay up in the American League or make a, you know, and obviously a really big guy, and you know, lined up, and they had just. They had just taken an icing, so in reality, it was, you know, I shouldn't have fought in that time, and I kind of felt like, you know, it was stupid because, you know, they're tired and we're, you know, we're trying to, to score, obviously, and obviously the ice and puck, and there's, you know, I think we were winning the game, too. So there was a number of reasons why I felt it wasn't the time. But, he's, you know, he basically said, listen, like, I need a fight. Can you give me one? And I said, you know, fine, whatever. And, uh yeah, so it was a long fight. He's a huge dude, really yeah. strong. You know, it's always difficult with big, big guys like that. Uh, have a ton of weight behind them. But I, you know, I survived, and it was a, it was a long one. And uh, you know, it's funny. I played against him in Finland again, and you know, you're thinking maybe there's not too many guys in Finland that are looking to fight. So you're like, do, they, do people almost expect that this is going to happen again? But uh, I don't know. He was, he's a different character, and. It's got a lot of different different characteristics and mm-hmm. done some some weird things. You know, I think he <laughs> tagged me tagged me one time on Instagram, and I'm like, no idea what's going through this guy's head. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's uh, yeah, everything I've heard, he's a he's a real good character, and mm-hmm. uh, guys guys like him. But uh, you know, for me sitting on the other side, I'm like, geez, like what is what is exactly this guy doing? I you know, a bit of a wild card, so yeah. Uh, but a good player, a big guy, plays mm-hmm. solid, so it was a good fight. Uh, and two more fights I want to ask you about from uh, from Bridgeport. Uh, mm-hmm. When you fight a guy like Matt Kennedy and you're just throwing left after left after left, does it feel like your arm's going to fall off when you're done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, like my my laps aren't great, so I don't know, but uh, uh, they were that I night. Think- yeah, yeah, well, they were good enough, to, you know. But uh, again, that was that was a situation I kind of brought on myself. I think I two-handed thought in in the in the ankle because we were losing. I was just trying to do something stupid. And my best friend in the world plays on that team, John Kurtz, and you would know his name because he fought a lot. And he was real tough, so he was kind of looking at me like, "You fucking idiot! Like, what are you doing?" But Kennedy got there first, and I said I wasn't going to give him a chance because I was trying to flip the game. And, you know, sometimes that's just the way it goes. So, um, and then <laughs> I got to ask you: Was there anything mm-hmm. that precipitated um, Travis Alexa? He dropped the gloves mm-hmm. with you. Like, what was the story with that? Because that seemed like a bad move. Uh, that was because uh, you alluded to it before with Joey Diamond, but mm-hmm. t- I remember now that uh, Taylor Doherty, who's like six seven, yeah, uh, basically f- not forced, but you know picked a fight with Joey Diamond, who hadn't played much yet, and he's also, what, is he, like 5'7", so 6'7 versus 5'7", so it pissed me off, Mm -hmm. and we were losing. I think it might have been the last game of the year, or I don't even remember, actually, Um, but I I just said, fuck it, I'm not going to give somebody else a chance, and and that was something in Bridgeport that 
they preferred. You know, it seemed that you know if you go after someone that they shouldn't, then we'll go after you know someone that I shouldn't or something along those lines, right? And, right. and that's that's basically what happened. That's how I felt, anyways. And the thing with Joey is uh, Joey doesn't know how to say no. So uh, yeah. I don't yeah, care if the guy's a foot yeah. taller or two feet taller. If you start yeah. poking Joey, he's just going to go, okay, let's go. I, I know, exactly. And I, and I thought it was a little unfair. You know, you got a guy that's just up or called up and got a guy a foot taller. But, yeah. hey, listen, he, he was willing and uh, he was, I think it was him. You know, maybe, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. But anyways, it was a situation along those lines that I felt was unfair. Matt Pellick was trying to chase me down the hallway and eat my lunch. So yeah. <laughs> I was ha- happy uh, happy to get out of that one because I don't know that I would have uh, <laughs> yeah. survived very long because those teams are crazy tough, those Western teams. My God, those ones were, uh, they had some scary guys. So Yeah, Pellick's a big dude too. So, uh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure you would have done okay. But, uh, but yeah, probably uh, for the best. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I don't know. <laughs> so, um, once again, you were named uh, AHL Man of the Year for for Bridgeport, and um, I I bring it up because you know this is a, a running theme with you with a lot of the guys mm-hmm. that I interview. You know the off the ice stuff, and this is uh, what turned out to be your only year in Bridgeport. But it just goes mm-hmm. to show that if you want to make a difference in the community you don't have to be with an organization for two three five years let's say this was your one year there and you really made a count and you probably touched a lot of kids lives uh over that season yeah i mean we we talked about it you know with uh with wilkesbury but you know identical situation i like i i just don't i don't like the idea of people thinking they're too busy to help you know i've never really understood that from an athlete you know we have three hours at the rink and and plenty of time, you know, and also, you know, the different situation too. Like I didn't have kids yet, you know, I was single. So I was always, always looking to use my free time where I could help someone. And, you know, Bridgeport would be point in case of that. Like I was always reaching out and trying to, uh, you know, push my name to say, Hey, listen, like I have plenty of time and I have no, no reason not to, not to help out. And like we talked about before, like it's, it's not only them getting something from you, it's you getting perspective from them. And, you know, that in life, as we touched on, is, is so important. So I always uh, I always cherish those relationships and those opportunities, and I still still do to this day. So so, so this will be my least favorite part of the interview. What happened uh, that you ended up signing with Vancouver? Was, uh, was there any discuss- Were there any discussions about you returning to the Islander organization? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, like... I'm not exactly sure why they wouldn't qualify me, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. like I was only, I don't know, I'm guessing 23. You know, I wasn't old, 24, one of those two. You know, I wasn't an older player by any means. And I was still developing, and I thought, I thought for sure, you know, you're not making a ton of money. It's not, it's not going to cost them a ton. You know, I had an exit meeting, and I think partial to that was, you know, it wasn't a great year at Bridgeport. You know, I think they wanted an overhaul. I think they released the coach, you know, Pelly mm-hmm. after the, that year. So, you know, there was some, some changes coming and, and maybe I got swooped into that, but, uh, you know, I was disappointed. I didn't, I didn't think it was fair. You know, I had an exit meeting where basically, you know, they said, you know, you gotta, you gotta come back, come back in the best shape you can do the best, you know, like all the cliche stuff, yeah. and, you know, I understood and you always want to play in the NHL. So that was a given for me. I was already going to do that, but you know, I, I would have liked more tangible, you know, organizational help to say, you know, we're going to help you become a better player. You know, you have good numbers. Clearly, you're a good teammate. 
Uh, and that's kind of what I thought leaving was going to happen. And, you know, like a couple weeks later, uh, I, I basically found out they weren't going to qualify me. So, you know, it was unusual. It was, you know, one of those points, again, in your career that uh, that really hurts. You know, you put uh, you put yourself on the line and you feel like you're in a good spot. Uh, you go from where I thought if the lockout ended. You know, I had a really good start in Bridgeport that, no, I was in the favor of the organization to a point where now you can't even get qualified for for reasons maybe unknown. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, that's one of those back here. Your back's in the corner again in, in your career, and you're like sitting there, you know, questioning what uh, you know. Is there's probably I, I guess I thought you know, is there any way I'm going to be able to get an NHL contract again? Because you know they're difficult to get to begin with, and then if you have a team that obviously didn't perform very well, plus you know. And I wasn't a numbers guy at that point yet, so, you know, like, it's it's a difficult situation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was happy the Islanders gave me a chance to sign my first contract, but then, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, them them giving up on me and, and not really, like I said, the tangible assets you wanted the player to become better. You know, organizationally, I didn't feel uh, I got, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it is what it is, and everything's part of the story, right, Joe? So. Yeah. It's just uh, one of those things you had to deal with. Uh, were there other teams interested besides Vancouver, and uh, you had to decide on them, or once you heard about Vancouver, you wanted to jump on that and get it going? I think I thought probably I'd have to regroup and sign an AHL deal. That's that's kind of where I was at. Fortunately, at the time, I had uh, I had Steve Bartlett as an agent, and uh, he kept working, uh, which was great. You know, I didn't have much to start free agency, obviously with the Islanders waiting a little longer to tell me I wasn't going to be qualified, didn't help either, right? Because you get close to free agency and you're not necessarily prepared for the situation that comes. But, um, you know, it was one of the coolest days, to be honest. If not if not for me, maybe the best moment uh, was I was playing, playing golf and, you know, your career is kind of, you feel like, you know, you're at a stop that you don't know how to get through, and uh, you know, you're down, and and you're trying to figure out what's what what can you do to figure this out if nobody you know wants to give you a chance at the NHL level, right? And uh, playing golf with Dean, and uh, you know maybe maybe like the tenth, eleventh hole, my agent calls and says, "Listen, but you know this is completely out of left field, truthfully. Like I really didn't think this was going to happen." And he said, "I got you an NHL contract. I think give me." you know, give me 20 minutes here and calls back in 20 minutes. And, you know, we were run, running off the course excited. You know, it's one of those, <laughs> one of those moments like father and son that like, um, you know, because your, your family feels your emotion and, yeah. you know, to have that second chance, it felt like, was like, wow, like I'm not going to fuck this up. Like I am going to do, uh, you know, everything I possibly ever can to play in the NHL. And if it doesn't work out, I won't have any regrets, but, you know, that call was, you know, for us amazing. You run home, as, you know, especially a Canadian team too, and, you know, a new new franchise in the American League and a lot of hope. And, you know, you don't have to go in and compete against, uh, you know, a team that's already there. Like it was, they were building a whole new thing. So it was just a perfect situation for me. You know, you get home with the family, have fun, you know, have some beers, really enjoy those, that moment. And uh, I'll never, ever forget that, that uh, the golf course my dad for sure so i'm going to put you on the spot who's a better golfer you or your pops <laughs> yeah i mean that's not even a question he he can't compete he knows <laughs> that though he, he knows that he knows there's no way like none of none of my brothers and him, they 
they're trying. You know, my one brother's getting better. He's playing a lot. Uh, he's a teacher, so he's got his summers off. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you what. He, he's got the time I don't have anymore, right, having two kids. So yeah. can he can he get a lot better quickly? Yeah, he will. So I got some people nepping at the heels here, but uh, I don't see any challenges just yet with those, <laughs> uh, with those four. Usually it's uh, just might as well give me your money now and we'll uh, – We'll let this one go. But Dean's, Dean's not bad. I mean, Dean's a good athlete, right? Yeah. So he's got that. He's got game. You know, like, he's he's got to compete. You know, he can, I always tell him, I say, Dean, come on. You played under the big lights. I said, turn it on here for five minutes and let's see what you got. I said, stop being a little hippie now where you're you're hanging out and you don't get angry and everybody's happy. I said, come on, get that old Dean back and let's see what you got. I said, let's, you know. So he can he can throw some game. We, we like to play together, actually, mm-hmm. in tournaments, like best ball. And, mm-hmm. and we have a blast. We have we love playing together and, uh, you know, the strategy between the two of us and we both like to have a good time. So uh, he's a beauty, but he sucks at golf. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I'm listening to you, I, I think it would be fun to make a trip up to Ontario and just hang out with the two of you for a day and uh, yeah. just ask questions with the two of you. I think that would be interesting. Well, he'd probably, yeah. It'd be even more fun with all the boys because yeah. the three other brothers plus me and him, like it's just a shit show. I mean, <laughs> you get everybody, you get everybody in the basement telling each other who's talking than who and who did this and I'm better at that. And it's just like my mom said, I say, "Yo, you all suck. Like just shut up. Like <laughs> I've had enough of all of you. Like just literally, just be quiet. Like you know, we we get going. We're a pretty close family, especially all the boys. I mean, it's pretty yeah. easy to be yourself. Oh yeah. That's awesome. So when yeah. you uh, when you went to camp with Vancouver, uh, I know you had at least one fight in camp. You have the picture of uh, yourself fighting Jan Sove on Instagram. Yeah. How, how did you, did you have other scraps? Was that the only one? And overall, how did you feel that training camp went? Yeah, I thought. I, I mean, I, again, like I went in in incredible shape. Uh, was that the year? That would be the year we had torts, right? Uh, uh, no. No. Okay. No. So the next year would be towards. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I remember being in real good shape. Like I said, like I knew I got a second chance, and I really, really pushed the pushed the pace in the summer to try to get better. Uh, I think I had a pretty good camp. I don't remember much. I, I hadn't played an NHL preseason game, so I got to do that, which was uh, you know obviously super exciting and. Um, you know, had the fight in the in the blue and white scrimmage uh, in Vancouver, which which was good too for you know asserting yourself as uh, you know as a good teammate and guy that competes. So I think I did pretty well. I mean, I don't I don't remember being given a huge opportunity by any means, but you know just to be able to play the first game in the NHL at that level was was really neat. Uh, actually, let me correct myself. I don't know if that was the year with Torts because I didn't make a note of that. I, I have a note here about Travis Green, which obviously was in Utica. So, so it could have been Torts, and I don't, I don't want to um, take away the opportunity for any good Torts stories. So, uh, even if it wasn't, let's uh, let's talk about your experience with Torts. So, I th- I think Torts is that first year. Okay. And I think Willie Willie Desjardins. Is the second year. Okay. I want to say. So, because I remember being like, holy shit. Because this guy's camps were like legendary, you know, like folk legend. You always hear about him. Uh, he has by far, you know, it's not even, it's, you know, far and away, it's the hardest, you know, the hardest testing you'll ever see, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, isn't even allowed anymore. You know, they have standardized stuff because of that kind of crap probably. But 
Um, you know, like he sent a letter. I'll never forget it. Like getting it like August first, and it was like, you better come ready to compete. And we have an expectation at this level, and uh, you know how we do things and how I do things. You know, this is what I expect. And you know, it was like you have to run a two mile run sub twelve minutes, which is very fast. Yeah. We had to do a VO two test. We had to do uh this you know on a six six times three lap test we had to do on ice six times down and back test we had to do on ice you know a figure eight test that was also i think like three of six like it was like very very difficult like it was uh it was like nothing i had ever seen now what i what i do say to people is that like for you know for that reason you like I was in shape like I was in the best shape of my life because I didn't want to be embarrassed and I knew and the thing was there were so many different things you had to figure out right like running and then on ice and then so you're doing everything possible right um so it, it worked you know was it uh was it overboard you know maybe but uh you know, his teams were always ready for whatever torts is. I mean, I don't have a, rela- a relationship with them, but right. those camps push you to your mental limit. And uh, sometimes you see a lot about people when you get there. And, yeah. you know, like the, we had a group one. <laughs> I'll never forget. So the group one does their, you know, their lap test on ice, right? Which, you know, if you're watching, you have anxiety, like watching people die. But <laughs> basically what a lot of those guys did was the right thing because – they didn't blow, you know, didn't blow it out on the first, you know, few of the laps, right? So you do your first three, then you get a rest, so you do your next three, and and he hated that. Like, he despised the fact that people would, you know, pace anything. So we got on the ice as a second group, and it was like, if I fucking see any of you guys pace this, I swear to God I'll kick you off the ice. So that, that makes it extremely hard because there's you can't you know he's watching and basically what i had heard is that he didn't so much care about how you did he wanted to see you go to your limit Mm -hmm. and to the point where you can't move can you get it done right so he was i remember him giving me a big whack in the ass after and that felt good you know that he said good job because you know i i went flying out of the gates but obviously by your fourth fifth and sixth i mean your legs are gone and imagine we we had done the you know the other tests too right so Uh, but that's what he wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so um, you go down, you, you spend the year in Utica, uh, and I think a yeah. buddy of yours was there, uh, Kellen Lane. Uh, is that someone that you had a relationship from back home? Yeah, yeah me and Kellen were uh, uh, like tra- training partners, and uh, we, we worked out together for a number of years. A really, really close friend of mine and uh, just a great person. And he also, we had a ton of connections because he played at Lake State. My best buddy played at Lake State. He played for the Blades, and I played for the Blades. So, yeah, Kellen, Kellen was a good guy. We lived together that year in Utica. Um, no, we had a blast. Really good guy. Uh, another guy that was there that uh, he actually came up in another interview that I did with uh, Ben Olson. He ended up fighting him uh, overseas. Was uh, Guy Lapine? Uh, what do oh, you yeah. remember? What do you remember about Guy? Yeah, like he was, he was kind of like an unknown. Like I didn't know much about him uh, until you know then, and uh, just really tough. Like he was. He was he was a nail gun for sure, and just like a super super kind person. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to be the common theme, eh? Like, oh yeah, all these guys, all these guys are always good guys. But he was, uh, 
Yeah, that that team had a blast. Like we were a really really close team. We you know we got to do something special, start something special there in Utica, and uh, you know he was you know he was he was tough, real tough. So when Travis Green was here with the Islanders, um, if you had asked me if I thought he was going to be a, ever be a head coach, I would have said no way. And yeah. uh, not only is he. I mean, obviously, everybody knows now he's in the NHL. He's really one of the rising stars uh, in the coaching ranks. I'm really happy for him. I never would have guessed it. Uh, and you got him when he was when he was really uh, cutting his teeth as head coach. How did you like playing mm-hmm. for him? Well, I, I always say this: Travis was, you know, the the most important and the biggest impact for me in my career. You know, he was. Uh, he was a guy that was a no nonsense, but a guy that also understood how to talk to people. You know, Tra- Travis Green um, taught me to be the right hockey player that would have a chance to play in the NHL. You know, he demanded a lot from me, but we were very, very close. He, you know, he he respected me a lot, which you know I didn't have a ton. Like I was younger, you know, and then I had the debacle, and you know, with the Islanders where. You know, it didn't really work out. So for me to have someone really put in time, you know, in time and care to say, I can help you, um, you know, if you give me everything, I'll, I'll help you become a professional. And, and he was amazing. Like, he really was. I owe a lot to Travis Green in terms of teaching me because you can see where my career changes. And it's, as soon as he has this effect on me, the confidence level that I gained to do things that I never knew I could you know, that nobody had to help me before, too, uh, Travis did. So, you know, he, he believed I had more uh, potential than, you know, maybe at the time that I knew I was capable. I always knew I could, you know, do different things. But, uh, yeah, he put the work in, and, uh, and I gave him everything I could in return because uh, he was that kind of coach. He always had an open door policy. He was always easy to talk to. He's, you know, he's like a split new age, old school guy, which yeah. is, you know, what seems to what seems to work this these days, right? Um, where he's cap- capable of understanding not everybody's the same, and he used to always say that, you know, like how he treats and deals with me to get the best won't be the same as, you know, how he talks and treats whoever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he had he had that ability, and I always think too, like. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't make it a huge thing if you have played or you haven't. Like, a coach can still be a fantastic coach. It doesn't matter. But I do believe that when he said something, I could trust that he knew. And I think that was a big thing for me because, you know, he didn't have the best start with the Islanders, right? You know, like, there was a lot of – and he would openly talk about, you know, oh, I didn't work hard enough. I didn't do the right things. I didn't – you know, and he was – he knew that. And so he could sit there and tell a young guy with clarity and meaning, hey, I've been you, and I figured it out that I had to change my game, you know, and then he plays a thousand games in NHL. So yeah. um, those experiences go a long way, especially for me. So, um, and listen, I still talk to Travis all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's a guy I would call and can call, and, you know, we talk, you know, not as much now being over here, but... You know, if I had a decision to make, he was the guy I'm calling, you know, for hockey and, uh, you know, to run it by him, what he thought, you know, when I, just everything. He's just a good person. He's a good family person, cared a lot about us, and uh, yeah, it meant a lot for me. 
and uh, one of your assistant coaches uh, that year is someone who I always enjoyed watching uh, play, and that was Paul Gerard. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. not the biggest guy there, but played. I don't know if you ever saw any highlights of him. Played super tough, yeah. and and he might have actually played against your dad. Uh, what are your memories yeah. of uh, of being uh, coached by Paul? I, I loved him. Yeah. Uh, like I thought they did both those guys were good. Like like count, counterbalance and. You know, you, you can, like his intensity, Paul, was high. Like, yeah. and I liked that a lot. And uh, you could just tell that he was a guy that, that really cared about his hockey team and his players. And, and that was kind of the common theme of what they built in Utica and uh, what they wanted to have. And, uh, you know, like he'd be absolutely flying around, you know, not moving the way he used to be able to, but he'd, he'd be flying around, giving guys sticks. And, it, it, you know, that energy is uh, – is always always contagious so he brought it every day and he was another guy that you know he taught me details of hockey and playing hard at all times you know those little things matter a lot and uh you know by the by the end of my time there he said you know i'll never forget him calling me and saying you know you gave us everything you ever could have and uh, you can you can play for me any day and, and that meant meant a lot coming from a guy like that because uh you, you knew his past and how he worked, and yep. you know for him for him to see me in that light uh, meant meant the world. Now, before I ask you about a couple of scraps you had that year, I just want to point out to everybody: uh, you were fifth on the team in scoring, third on the mm-hmm. team in goals, and uh, second on the team in penalty minutes. So, yeah. I want to ask about a few things that led to your being second on the team in pims. Uh, mm-hmm. You remember the slugfest that you had with Chris McElvey of Albany? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was like, you know, I was, I was in the early stages uh, of that, you know, being there. So again, like, I like to try to show that I care and, and uh, he, he was tough. Like he hit me hard once and I was, he was a really honest player. I liked him a lot and we crossed paths a lot and it's somewhat similar to me, like a good, good teammate, not, not looking to fight like crazy, but, you know, definitely willing if needed and, uh, yeah, I think I think he got the better of me in that one, to be honest. But uh, no, I was happy to get a fight in early, and and I, I liked the way he was actually, like respect wise. I could just tell, like he, everybody is, but he was, you know, he knew like he had my helmet off, his wasn't off, you know, which you know is a situation, whatever, you know, it happens, and you got to get through it. But he he understood, and we settled it honestly and and fairly, and. He was, you know, said good job, and I, I remember playing against him next year. Said, Fuck, you know, you're having a great year. Like, you should be proud of yourself. And I thought, uh, coming from a guy like that, you know, I, I just had a ton of respect. So. Now, uh, as you witnessed during your season in Bridgeport, I'm sure there were a few, more than a few times where um, the cousins were out on the ice and you could kind of see the twinkle in their eye and you knew yeah. that something was going to happen. <laughs> now, this season, yeah. with you and yeah. Kellen there, uh, and mm-hmm. one in particular, one incident in particular against Lake Erie, uh, you and mm-hmm. Kellen were out there. Uh, he fought Daniel yeah. Maggio. You fought Paul Carey. Was, uh, mm-hmm. it, to me, that's sort of the equivalent of the cousins in Bridgeport. Now you got you two old <laughs> friends out, you know, for the Comets. Was that was that sort of the same thing? And do you remember that uh, those fights? Yeah, I remember because we're, we were living together and, you know, here we are fighting shoulder to shoulder. But, uh no, I remember for sure because it was circus-like. You know, that rink was just a jungle too. So people, people love that stuff. And you know, to have two going on with you know with your close buddy, uh, you know, it was, it was funny. Like I, I thought it was hilarious. And you know, we were we were laughing after having a beer. And you know, a memory for me and him that we always have. And 
both both doing the best we can for each for each other and our team and uh, it, was, it was really cool yeah now uh i didn't see video of this so i don't know if there's anything notable but for me i'm always proud of uh my italian brothers in the game and you're a defazio yeah. and you fought a, an yeah. anthony Batetto. so yeah. i don't know was yeah. there anything memorable about that fight other than your fine uh lineage <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just good lineage yeah no uh he crushed uh he, he was, I liked him as a player. Still, he's still doing great. Um, yeah. uh, I think he crushed like Cal, who's like my best buddy. Mm-hmm. And you know, he he knew right away. I knew right away. Pretty strategic fight. Nothing, nothing spectacular. More of like both guys have a real good hold, and you know, there wasn't it wasn't an inch given, given either way. You know, a couple helmet shots, shit like that. It actually lasted a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, one of those fights that really didn't didn't turn too open. Yep. You know, both guys understanding, you know, and having a good hold, I think, had a factor on it. I think he was playing a three and three, and I was too, also. <laughs> like, you could just see in each other's eyes, like, exhaustion. But, uh, no, he was a good dude. Good fight. Good uh, good warrior. I, I like the way he plays a lot. I think yeah. he's hard to play against. Yep. Uh, and uh, postseason awards, you got a few of those. Of course, you got the Bill Horton Award for involvement in the community. Uh, you got the Dave Armstrong Award for class guy. And uh, one that I bet that you really are, are proud of, the uh, Thomas M. Lindsay Foundation Award that was voted mm-hmm. on by members of the Utica Police Department. So uh, so what did all those yeah. awards mean to you? Well, like, like we talked about, they mean a lot. You know, it's, uh, it, you know it's, it's something that for your family you can hold on to, right? You know, it's something that's still at my parents' house in their basement. You know, those awards might be something that they're, you know, more proud of than you know, anything else, right, to have those there uh, forever, you know, it's not, is a talking point to who we think we are as a family, and, uh, you know, that, you know, the police one meant a lot, because, you know, they gave me the award at the end of the year, and, uh, you know, like, there's a lot of respect and honor in that situation, obviously, you know, my dad's a firefighter also, so there's a lot of that in my family, and how I feel, uh, so I, I felt uh, pretty emotional to be able to, to have that award and for them to, to honor me and for me in return for for the award uh, to re- show respect to them and, and the community that they, they take care of. So. so you had, you know, like I mentioned, a really, really good year in Utica. Now you go into uh, your second training camp. Uh, are you approaching it the same way or, or is this something where – you know, like I don't, you can't really turn it up, uh, turn it up a notch because I can't imagine that you have any, any other speed than full speed, hundred miles an hour. But I always wonder, yeah. and I always ask this of guys who played a few games in the NHL, was there anything different? Did anything feel different in that second camp? Um, you know, like, like we're going to touch on it in a minute where you actually, you got the call to the yeah. show, but did anything feel different yeah. going into that second camp? Okay, so you'd have to take it back a little bit where it felt different. So I had I had never felt that, you know, obviously in Wilkesburg could get called up, but then, you know, in New York, I, I felt it didn't matter. You know, I wasn't a prospect to them, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a rapport, and I, and I wasn't seen that way. So, you know, it was out of sight, out of mind. You know, it was never an honest, you know, thought that I would ever have a chance to be called up. I really never... Like, I really never believed it because I, just, I could just see, you know, and you can understand that. Um, you know, and second to that, obviously, 
it was a lock year, you know. So there was wasn't any call ups till there was everybody, and then there wasn't a lot of movement, if any. Right. I don't think so. Um, what what I would what I say is that uh, at Christmas that year before, I said, okay, like I'm not. You know, one way or the other, I need to start doing more. So I thought I could be more offensive plus be gritty, right? So I needed to protect myself in terms of developing my game to get a different level. So I think at Christmas, I had one goal. And then, like I said with Travis, he worked on me, you know, worked with me on, you know, developing my game outside of the work ethic. So to handle the puck more, to make plays, to be able to play with skilled players, but offer that physicality that helps them. So I take that step from there, and I went on a run that second half of the season that I still to this day say was the best hockey I ever played in my life because I think I scored 16 goals in the second half, you know, which would have been like a 30-goal pace had I had not a ter- you know not the start I did, right? So you have 16 goals to finish, emotional and emotional connection to where our team was. Uh, you know, I was doing everything I possibly could to win because we were very, very close after starting 0-10 uh, to getting that team in the playoffs, which, you know, they sold out every game there. It was nuts. Like, I remember, like, just feeling as if my career was turning, uh, you know, and also all that going on. Now, there was a point towards the end of the year where I finally said to myself, I – actually deserved to have been called up and they you know I played a really good game uh, a couple in a row I think I had like a shootout winner you know a game time goal a fight you know like I literally could not look in the mirror and figure out there's just no way they can look at this and say they can't give me a chance so because I was thinking that that was good I was finally thinking okay this is deserved and it didn't happen so I actually, for the first time, said, hey, you know, to Travis and I think this, this, and Jim, like, you know, I feel as if I couldn't possibly do more, uh, you know, in terms of what we're doing here. Like, if you, like, all those things I listed cover different things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I felt, and I finally voiced it, hey, listen, I want to do everything I can to play in the NHL. I want to, you know, this is this is a big deal to me and I feel like I'm doing it. I hope that you guys at some point could see me this way. Right. So now you fast forward. So I had that and they had that and they knew that. So now they're talking a little more about me, uh, you know, as an option and, and Hey, looking at how I finished that year, they're saying, you know, this guy really can play. Uh, we like the way he plays. We like what he does. So, you know, that's what changed, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, or I say the the rapport within the organization matters. So now I'm not leaving a place and starting again. I'm staying in the same place, right? Yeah. So you're coming in with a coach that likes you. You're coming in with a reputation. You know, you're coming in with all this stuff that they already know. So it leads to, hey, listen, when he's been here, he's done this. He does deserve a chance. So that was the difference, really, I think. So – so that's cool. So you're going into camp with that mindset. Like you say, you've, mm-hmm. you're putting it – basically what you did was gamble on yourself because you put everything out on the sure. table. So now you have to hold up your end of the bargain. And yeah. in early November 2014, you finally get the call to the show, called up to Vancouver. And I always love these stories. How did you find out you were getting called up? Yeah, so um... – and, and I mean, these, these are the best stories in hockey, right? Yeah. You know, these are the stories that, you know, I love hearing and, 
Uh, it's all that shit that goes into these feelings of uh, when you get the opportunity to get that call. But we played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, a three and three. And I remember playing Saturday in Rochester. My parents were at the game, so they left, said hi, and went home. And then we, we obviously went bus back to Utica. So it's not a far trip. So I remember being on the couch. Uh, with my wife and we're watching the game I'm eating eating all the wrong things and you know hanging out and saying you know you, you survive a three and three but I'm watching the game because it's on the west coast so you can you know you, I can watch the whole thing yeah. and uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing guys go down like left right and center I'm like holy shit I'm like like that's a lot of guys and like it was guys that it wasn't like the skilled skilled guys. It was like a door set and, you know, a few other people that I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, they're going to need to make some call-ups here, Colleen. And I'm like, they already had uh, Jensen up, and they had a couple other guys maybe already up. So I'm like looking. I'm like thinking, I'm playing pretty well. I'm like, Colleen, honestly, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like maybe this could happen for once. You know, like it makes sense. And sure enough, it was like, I think they were going into like the third and Travis called and he says, Hey bud, what are you doing? And I said, Holy shit. <laughs> like, I'm like, I like, I can't breathe, man. Like, <laughs> he's like, well, listen, he's like, you're going to play tomorrow against Anaheim. So, you know, you deserve this. I care a lot about you. You earned it. Uh, call your family, let them know, you know, you're going to go tomorrow. He said, we got to get you going now though. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're playing on the west coast he's like get back to the rink my gear's soaked right um <laughs> yeah. he's like he's like get back to the rink he's like get your stuff you got to get in the car and you got to get to syracuse now i'm like okay so you know all that you know together it's just like you know it's it's uh it's a range of emotions you'll never be able to explain but um you know it, it happened fast and i didn't have a lot of time to mess around so you know i called my parents and I said, look at, and they had just gotten home, obviously, you know, that phone call to call your dad and say, hey, listen, I'm going to have an opportunity to play in the NHL tomorrow. Yeah. You know, that's, it's worth every, every minute of, you know, situations we just talked about through this interview, you know, every single minute of that uncomfortable feeling is worth it to be able to call your family and say, you know, you've done it and uh, you're going to do it. So they were able to find a flight and the next day to get to Anaheim. Which awesome. is pretty cool, considering considering the you know the time. It wasn't a lot of time. We're playing six goals in the west, and you know this started one one thirty a.m. east. And yeah. you know the whole the whole process. Like the thing for me that was scary was it's like I'm sitting here, Joe, and I'm like, honest to God, like you're never gonna sleep, and you're already gassed. You played three games, didn't matter. But I was so so worried for the way my career went that you know the flight would get canceled, like. <laughs> yeah. You know, your sticks or your bag or, you know, like I was telling everybody running. I remember running through the Detroit airport because I had to connect and being like, you, like I'm running and I'm like, you got to make sure that hockey bag's on this plane. I'm like, please. I'm like, I know it's a quick turn over here, but like you guys have to make sure that thing's here. Uh, you know, get to, get to Anaheim and, uh, sorry LA and I had to wait for a car you know then the car is not there like I don't have much time you know what I mean right like like I'm basically going to you know eat maybe get a half hour and, and jump into this so 
uh, you know, I was worried about the timing and all that, and obviously everything going on, it was nuts, and, uh, but the gear made it, the car showed up, and uh, I got there in time, you know, just to get 30 minutes of some clarity in your room to calm yourself down, and, you know, I'd always, I had also the thoughts that, hey, I, this is my fourth game, and in four days, and I'm like, holy smokes, but, you know, the, the, the adrenaline's high, and, you know, it's, uh, what I do tell people about it that's very interesting, and I'm not sure if in any other interviews that people have said this about their first game, but I had dreamt my whole life, since I was four years old, about the minute of playing in the NHL, so every single minute of my life from then to this point, I had thought about this moment, that it almost felt like it already had happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you could explain that to someone, but like if you see this so much in your mind where mm-hmm. you're out there, you're playing, you're in the NHL, you know, you're on the street, that's what you do as a kid. Yep. You know, that's what you do all the time. That's what everybody does that loves hockey. So it felt almost as if once I was out there, yeah, it was crazy, but it's like I've been here. You know, like you, you felt this. You, you wanted this. Like, you know, it felt like you know, the dream is just now real, and it's uh, yeah, unbelievable feeling. That's awesome. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. there seems to be this new tradition. I don't remember where it started, uh, and I don't know if this is something that you knew was going to happen, but you know, mm-hmm. your first game, you're in Anaheim, you're the new guy, so you lead the team on the ice, and you step on the ice and you start doing your lap, and then what happened yeah. to the rest of your team? <laughs> Wait, I'll tell you this. The, the backstory of that was – I was older, right? Like I'm, I think 26, like I had played already uh, four years, you know, it was my fourth year in the American League. So they, the Sedins looked at me before yeah. and they're like, hey, hey man, like you, you've already played, eh? Like, and I'm like, no, no. I'm like, this is, this is my first game. And they're like, no way. All right, all right. You, you got to go do a lap then. Like, uh-huh. you know, we want to make this special. So that was cool. You know, they just kind of assumed I was a little bit older that maybe I had already, you know, played some games and, and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I was proud to have that moment. Yeah. You know, I, even though I was older, you yeah, know, it's yeah. something at some point you show the kids and you got the pitcher, you know, the best pitcher I have in hockey, you know, just smiling ear to ear and saying to yourself, you did it. And, uh, you know, your parents are up there in the crowd. And, uh, yeah, what a what a moment. Um, I have to ask this because you weren't you weren't born on skates, but I'm sure it wasn't too long after you were born you're on skates, and yeah, a good portion of your life is on skates. But as you're taking that lap, does it ever enter your mind? <laughs> don't fall. Yes. yes, it does. <laughs> it's like you know the biggest thing that I say, and I is that the pucks are out there. And you're like, just don't step on a puck. Don't step on a puck. Like, don't you know? And you like touch the puck, and you're like hands are shaking. You're like, oh god, like. You know, and then, yeah, no, you're right. I was thinking that whole time. The only thing, the only regret I have about that is that when I played my first two years, you could warm up with no helmet, but both teams I played on had a rule that they wouldn't allow us in the American League to do it, and then they took the rule out. So I never had the opportunity to warm up without a helmet, so I was so desperate to have that NHL moment where you get that pitcher with the nice flow and, Mm -hmm. and the big league threads and, you know, that's what you dream of. That's what you know. When I was a kid, and you go watch the game at the Maple, you know Maple Leaf Garden, you, know, you see the see the guys out there with no bucket on. It's like this is the big time, baby. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that was that was the moment I kind of wanted to have, but I wasn't gonna. You know, I was I was hoping maybe an older guy would be like, hey, give me that helmet. You know, yeah. like yeah, no problem, take it. You know, but you would never out of respect being your first game, you never do it on your own. But right. uh, 
I kind of kind of wish someone stole it. I should have set it up and had like the exit taken. Be like, just take this from me, please. <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, during your time there, were you able to teach the Sedins anything? <laughs> yeah, I, I banged my stick on the bench and said, "Good job." And that was that was about it. I said, "Hey, you know, great job, guys. You did a really good job out here. Really, really proud of you." Like. He's basically a super fan, but my second game they scored uh, you know, a nasty overtime goal in Vancouver, and it was sold out, and it was so loud, and it was just vintage Sedin to Sedin, one T, and overtime winner, and I was like, yeah, I was like, that's why these guys make the big bucks, and this big <laughs> stuff. So, you know, they were like, you want to talk about two amazing people, like they were the kindest, kindest people, and actually that team had just amazing people, really. Like Burroughs was great to me, like. I was on the plane not really knowing because, you know, they don't tell you much and they kind of you have to figure it out. Like, I didn't know. I obviously knew I had a place to stay, but I don't have a car or at the airport. So Burrow said, hey, bud, like, jump in with me. I'll take you home and I'll get you to the hotel. I know where you're staying. You know, if you need anything, just uh, just give me a shout. And I thought that was, you know, back to was great. All those guys were amazing. They were really good people. So I wanted to ask you about that second game, the game in Vancouver, yeah. because it's, like you say, Vancouver is one of those crowds where even yeah. even over the TV, you kind of hear mm-hmm. the energy. And uh, mm-hmm. and what was it like to just play in front of that crowd? Like, it had to be amazing. Yeah, like be, being Canadian, too, like playing Ottawa. You know, it's a Canadian game. You know, it's going to be on all the bars back home everywhere in Canada. You know, you got Vancouver, Ottawa. You know, it's going to be on Sportsnet. Um you know, it was a big deal, big deal for me, you know, walking around, getting a coffee before the game. You just see the buzz of, you know, why the NHL is the NHL. You know, it's, you know, that's the buzz you don't get, you know, unless you're in that league and in those cities. And, uh, you know, nobody has a clue who I am. So you can just kind of walk around with your coffee and your suit and, uh, you know, watch the people in their jerseys getting excited, having beers for the game. And uh, no, I was, it was special to be in that room, to be in a, you know, a Canadian city as a Canadian kid, and uh, to to be a part of it and, and play the you know Ottawa. You know, it was it was neat, really neat. And I thought you know for that game, I was able to settle down a little more. You know, not being having a day of rest, and, and I thought I played pretty well to be honest. Like I really felt great. Um, and I think Will, Willie was a coach that. You know, and listen, I totally get it. Like, you know, third period, basically, you know, your fourth line wasn't playing. And, you know, he had two call-ups on the line. I totally got it. He's playing to win. And, you know, but I felt like I was finally, you know, in a place of comfort where I knew I could play at that level. And obviously it was my last game. It will be my last game in the NHL. But, uh, you know, if anything, for the first two periods, I felt like I belonged for a little bit. You know, I'd ho- I had hoped, and I think everybody does. Because I think if, if you get – I always say if you get ten games – you know, probably by four, five, six, maybe you're showing things that they didn't know. You know, you need that time to settle into the NHL. You know, maybe maybe you have a fight or you do these things or, you know, all these different things can change your storyline. But uh, obviously two games with six minutes played, like it's hard to, you know, both games we were winning. uh, So it's hard to really make a huge impact. But, you know, I did, did what I could. Your your game is energy, and and your mm-hmm. your effort is a hundred percent all the time, and yeah. not that you're one to rest on your laurels. But what, in the time that you were up with Vancouver, you know yeah. you're you're in the hotel in Anaheim, then you're in the hotel in Vancouver. You had some yeah. time alone time, and 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 this is something that we already discussed. Was yeah. there was there a moment 
where you look back and said, never drafted into the OHL, never drafted into the NHL. And even if these are my only two games in the NHL, I made it. Did you ever yeah, think about no, that? Were, yeah, I did. I did because, you know, we take it back to the start of the interview. You know, there was a 15-year-old kid in, in Oakville crying in his basement, shooting pucks, thinking his life was over. Um, you know, and then there's the moment where the Islanders give up on you. You don't even get a, you know, courtesy of time going into free agency where they don't even qualify. You know, there's so many points in your life that uh, you think it's it's going to be over. And, uh, you know, to look over in my room waking up on that Monday in Vancouver and they give you, they gave me my jersey right away uh, to keep. And, you know, it's sitting, sitting on your chair and you're looking at it and, uh, yeah, you're like, holy, you know, you, you told yourself your whole life, but you know, that you could do this, but now, now you've done it. And, and the thing I always say is nobody can take that away from me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they can't. You know, I played in the NHL. I did what every single person, you know, when I was 15, 16, 17, and these guys, you know, it's funny. Like, I always say, like, why the fuck do you listen to these people? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, who's this guy that's scouting Junior B or Junior C cut me? You know, like, who's that guy? And, no, I can sit here and say I knew it inside, mm-hmm. and I knew you were wrong. And I knew you made the wrong choice. Yeah. And I always say it's like this this ignorance that you have to have. If you want to do it the way I did it, you have to be ignorant to, to people. And that's not a disrespectful thing. That's an ignorance to what people think. Right. You say, you're, you're not right. I'm right. And I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, I remember, you know, I remember everything that people said to me. You know, I, I, I'm the kind of guy that wrote it down. And I remember, you know, you said I can't do this. You know, there was a scout that watched me play in, in Oakville my second year said, Oh, Clarkson's going to decommit your kid to my dad, you know, skeleton. It's like, you know, I remember that stuff. To have that jer- you know, to have that jersey, mm-hmm. uh, well, he doesn't have that jersey, and I yeah. do, right? So, wow. you know, that for me mattered, and uh, you have to be that way. If you want to do it the way I did it, you just have to be, so... Well, you go back to Utica, and I think a lot of times for people, you get that taste of the show go back down yeah. and, and you can go either way. You can kind of be a little depressed or you could just keep working, keep working. And you mm-hmm. played a game against Syracuse, uh, Gordy Howe hat trick. You ended up fighting, uh, Angelitis. You got the goal. You got the yeah. assist. Um, is that something, you know, like I, I always wonder with these Gordy Howe hat tricks, like I know I get a kick out of them. Do the players actually yeah. get a kick out of them too? Or is that more of a fan thing? Oh yeah, I think it's a big deal. Like, how yeah. hard is it to do that? Yeah. Like, you gotta, you know, it's tough. I mean, it's difficult enough to score at any level. Yeah. You know, and then you throw in all the other stuff, and then it's already difficult enough to get in a fight. I mean, that's not fun. You know, the <laughs> thought. So, you know, the the whole thing put together, it basically is what I always said. If you if you're having a game like that, then you've done everything right. Right. right? You know, you've you've handled every situation and found a way to be successful in those those points in the game. And I think Gordy Howe hat tricks are one of the best things in hockey, you know, that's, uh, I would, you know, I like that stuff when you can have skill and, you know, abrasiveness at once, you know, if you can do both those inside of a game, then those are my kind of players, right? Those are the guys I like the most. So, Oh yeah. Um, and then you got the traditional hat trick in the game against Lake Erie. Uh, was that a natural hat trick that you got? Yeah, it was. Natural hat trick. Is that in, that's what three in a mean? row where nobody – Three in a row, right? Yeah, you scored three yeah. goals in a row. Nobody scores in between. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. It was – that was awesome. I mean, I loved – like, I couldn't – I could sit here and talk to you, Joel, in a separate interview about Utica, but, mm-hmm. like, I loved that place. Like, I loved playing there. 
like the energy you got in that rink, like you, you don't get it most places. Like I think it was out of control how loud it was. People loved it. We had a good team. So you score three in a row, people are just losing their shit. Like it was awesome. Like, you know, you come out of the rink and people are just, you know, all over you having fun and everybody wants to buy you a beer and everybody wants, you know, it's that kind of place. It was that kind of community. Me and Colleen, like we, like we really, really enjoyed our time there. And those memories, you know, of how they embraced, you know, things like a hat trick or a Gordy Howe or all those little things. Like it was, uh, all part of the journey, but that was that was a special part, that's for sure. So, in a game against Binghamton uh, during a st- during a stoppage, you guys were actually the second fight during the stoppage. You ended up fighting uh, Frederick Clausen, um, and you were pummeling him. But and a lot of times, fighting is is a is not emotional. But at least yeah. on TV, it looked like you were pretty pissed. Do you remember what was going on? Uh, yeah, Archie threw a big hit. It was a three and three, and I remember going into it exhausted and being aggravated to begin with. <laughs> and and uh, that's probably not a good place to start. And there's a lot of that in the American League. Sometimes you get a grumpy guy, but I yeah. seem to be in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Archie smoked someone, and then my my good friend Grant, who we we talked about before, Alex Grant, he fought Archie. And Clayson was kind of like getting getting into my face, and I was just like, "Would you just get the fuck away from me?" Like. <laughs> And it was one of those where I'm like, yeah, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to kick out this game. The watch, you know, it's too bad. Three and three. And then, like, the funny part was Luke Richardson wanted to kill me because he was like, now now that it's, like, early, too. Like, I got kicked out in the first ten minutes, probably, I want to say. Definitely the first period. And uh, he's down to 5D, and right. he's pissed. Like, he was saying, he's screaming across the ice. Like, he did that on purpose to get the D out of here. He knows we have trouble on the back end. And it's like, I didn't think about that. Like, right. I was just angry, and I was already tired, and I wanted out of this game. So I said, <laughs> this is a good way to get out. I said, I'm out. See you later. <laughs> you know? So it wasn't anything to do with that. But, yeah. um, and you continued. You continued your your season going into the playoffs. You made the Calder Cup run, uh, seven yeah. points, twenty one games. Uh, before the Calder Cup, uh, before the Calder Cup finals, uh, you played Grand Rapids, uh, and you were yeah. suspended two games. Uh, did you deserve that suspension for the hit on uh, Nosik? I think so. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it was. I was. I remember crying actually when I got told it was suspended. I was so emotionally driven to. Yeah. Uh, be a, you know, you're in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, you're, you know, what we felt like was a team that had a chance to win, and then you're out for two games, which is a lot for playoffs. Yeah, I remember, remember Travis telling me I could, couldn't control it. You know, you don't, you never want to have those situations where you get suspended, and obviously with all the playoff emotions too. Like, yeah, I, I felt like it was, it was too late. You know, probably a half second late, yeah. but it's a war. It's, you know, it's a war out there you know, in playoffs, and you don't want to give an inch, and he's a good player, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't disagree. So. <laughs> well, talk about that, that entire run, uh, and, and I, mm-hmm. I bet, like, this just was – it must make you feel good talking about this. Like it's obvious just in the time that we spoke and that your time in Utica mm-hmm. was really special to you. And now this group yeah. of guys is going, making a run for the championship. What was that run like? We are, we, I mean, like common team with everybody that has these runs or you're just so close. Like the families are close. To, you know, the, the play, like I, I moved into a playoff run with O'Reilly. Like we we're best buddies. Like we did everything together and, you know, that team was uh, the best team I ever played on in terms of, 
that. You know, we loved each other. We had a blast. Um, you know, the the run itself was, uh, you know, the coolest portion of my career, I would say, uh, where, you know, it, it's we, we were faced right away. Like, we, we had a fifth game, which in the first round is the seventh game. So you're sitting there sit, as a one seed, and you're like, wow, like, <laughs> That's a, that's a lot of pressure, and, uh, you know, we handled it and got through it, and I think the next next series was the same thing. You know, game seven at home, uh, handled that, got through it, you know. And the cool part I say about that run that I always think about was that, you know, the fans were just bonkers. Like, we all, that arena almost broke the, like, indoor sound record for no less. Like, like, it was that loud. Like, it was, like, scary loud, like, you know, you could feel your eardrums. Like, it was, you know, and I basically would start every single game at home with Archibald, and we'd just fly around, and people would go nuts. Like, uh, 10,000 people outside when you came to the game, like, tailgating. Like, you know, it was, uh, it, was uh, it was a special time. And, you know, then we win game six at home again. And to have those memories where you win at home, you know, then, then we would go to the bar and have a blast. And I remember the one time, like, we won that Western Conference series in Game Six at home. Like, we went to the bar, which is you know ten minutes away, and we have all the families and everybody together, and you're saying we're going to the finals, and everybody's pumped up, and then all the fans are like, we were all playing like drinking games together, <laughs> like you know that's the kind of way it was. Like we were all together all the time, and then to have that moment with the fans, the family, you know the people you care about, and then the team, and you know it was a cool, cool. Time. So, um, you, uh, end of the season comes. Your contract is up. Um, mm-hmm. What happened that you didn't go back to Vancouver? Did Boston make you a, a really great offer? Or you ended up with the Bruins. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you know. I talked to Travis, and he said, you know, I think he was pretty honest. He's like, you know, I think obviously I'd love to have you back, but if you think you know that situation fits you well, and they were they were very you know they were hard on me right away at July 1st. And I didn't have a lot of that in my career where that was probably the first and only time where, you know, you sit there and you have choices and, you know, I had the big year and scored 20 goals and then on a team that goes to the final. So I knew there would be some interest. So I just felt like Boston for me and how I play just made sense. You know, it's one of those things. And my agent said, you know, they're, you know, they're pretty high on you and they think you can help. So, you know, you think of the time, and you just go for it. And how was that? Uh, how was that training camp with the Bruins? Like, you say, I, I mean, uh, everybody. When you think of the prototypical Bruin, you think of either a heavyweight guy or, or a power forward guy like yourself. It would, yeah. You would think you'd be tailor made for that team. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, again, like I guess something that looking back on that I didn't really realize. That you don't think about what's the thing I should have known is that. You know, if you're the new guy, then you're still the new guy, right? You're not the guy on the on the big contract, and uh, you, you know you haven't been there for a number of years, so you kind of got to start from point A again. So that's kind of what I felt like, you know. But I, you know, they gave me a good opportunity. I played quite a few games in preseason, had a good camp, and they said, you know, we like what you're doing, so it was all right. This is the first year you had more points than penalty minutes, and that's saying something because you you were normally good for say thirty five to fifty points a season. So it wasn't like you're scoring two, three, four mm-hmm. points. You're putting up points, and you're usually putting up penalty yeah. minutes. Uh, 
you did not have a single fight this year with Providence. Uh, was that something right. that that you was a conscious effort that you were going to maybe try to shy not shy away from it, but maybe focus more on doing other things, or is it just something that never materialized? I guess it was something you know. It's definitely not not a conscious decision. Um, I don't know. Like I guess looking back on it, maybe I should have done more of it. You know, and that was something that you know, would be a, re- a regret. But at the, at the same time, like, it wasn't like a decision to be like, hey, I come, all of a sudden I'm a skilled guy. Like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do this. You know, I was in the scrums and I was in the battles and I was playing hard. Um, I played with, you know, a really, really skilled line where I was playing, you know, a lot a lot more minutes too. And, you know, it wasn't, wasn't something that, you know, I got in a bunch of, like, where I would take care of those guys because I was playing with the uh, – Zarnik and Cope with Javon Zarnik in Vitrano and you know if guys guys were on them or something then I was always there you know to make sure I was in the pile first and all that stuff but uh, I think I just took a step you know in a, in a direction where you're playing on power play one you know you're you're playing the higher minutes you're playing on the first line and you know, I had a good year mm-hmm. so you know yeah I think for sure like I I should have as I did in years past probably tried to a little bit more but. You know, it wasn't a circumstance where I was sitting back saying, I'm never doing this. You know, it wasn't that at all. You know, I was still playing hard, and if the situations happen, then they happen. But uh, I guess it just seemed like it didn't. You know, I had one kind of half fight with Rich Kloon. He was rolling around and that kind of thing. But, no, there was not, nothing too crazy, I guess, that year, for whatever reason. So when I was doing the research for this, uh, I think it was an article that popped up. Uh, what was the story with you and Frank Vitrano's sticks? That's pretty cool, actually. That was a good story because I had always used the, I had used a pattern that was pretty simple. It was a jury curve, you know, from back in the day, and you know there wasn't much to it. And I was, I was kind of just thinking to myself, like I, I get, I was the kind of guy that always had a ton of shots, and I was like, I, I, some, sometimes I felt like it, you know, I had no chance of going in for for the way the curve was. You know, if I was a little out of range, like it was real good in front of the net, but. And I'm watching Frank shoot, and I'm like, holy, like, this guy's on a different level. Like, his shot's as good as I've seen anybody's. And obviously that year he had, uh, well, he had 10 goals in his first 10 games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> like, you know, he was, he was um, you know, in, in practice. And then you know, he had finished the year with 35 goals in 35 games. So yeah. the kid could shoot and the kid yeah. could score. Mm-hmm. And I was never going to get that. But I just kind of, you know, I paid a lot of attention to the way he was releasing pucks and stuff, and I'm like, I knew I had a good shot, but I was like, maybe if I just, if I took a stick and I said, let me try it, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I couldn't miss. Like, it was crazy, the difference. You know, it's more of a big curve. Um, I think the next, I think I scored seven goals in the next six games, something wild. Like, it was, yeah. it was astounding, the difference. Now, is it mental? Yeah, maybe a little bit, right? You had a little change, and... You're excited, but uh, I haven't switched since. I mean, I still use his curve, and you know, I love it. I think it just gave me the opportunity to shoot from different areas a little harder, and uh, yeah, it's working for him too. So that's what I was going to ask you if you're still using it. I figured, uh, why why mess with success? No, yeah, no, I could tell right away. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I waited. You know, <laughs> what was that year six? I'm like, I can't wait. How did I do that? You know, anyways. Yeah, and obviously, you know, when I mentioned that you didn't have any fights that year, uh, mm-hmm. you're still playing your game because um, yeah. the Bruins fans, even uh, yeah. the Providence Bruins fans, they still like that physical style, 
And uh, yeah. obviously, you're going to win the community service award like you always do. But you also won the fan favorite award. And and Bruins fans are not going to have a fan favorite that doesn't play with at least a little bit of grit. So obviously, I know you're still doing your job there. But is it is it cool when you're acknowledged by the fans? Because the, the Bruins fans, I mean, listen, that's a, a traditional original six team, mm-hmm. original six fan base. And with the, yeah. the geography of Providence and Boston together, you're going to have that overflow. And uh, to, like you say, you played with some really talented players. I think uh, Pasternak was on the team that year. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. like you say, Vitrano was scoring a goal a game. And you were the one that won the fan favorite award. So what does that mean to right. you? We had such a good team, actually. Like we had so many guys that could have won that award. I mean, we had, you know, I think we had like five guys that scored 20 goals, maybe five, four, four or five guys over you know, like 50 points. Like, there were some good, good hockey players on that team. But, you know, being that, you know, we didn't have the craziest, tough team. Like, there wasn't a lot of shenanigans with that team, but we played hard. Right. You know, and obviously for me, like, I was a little different than the guys I was playing with. Like, I was playing with the skill guys. You know, and had a good year where I scored 20 goals again, but, you know, playing a, a completely different way. Like, I would, you know, I was running around still. I was playing with energy, you know, and, and that stuff the Bruins – you know, they, they appreciate that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And, and Providence had a real cool, you know, I love that city. Like, I thought it was awesome. And they always had great fan support, always always a ton of people at the dunk. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's probably why. You know, they see the energy, you know, added with the skill. And that kind of, to me, sounds like the way the Bruins like it. So it made sense. Uh, I want everybody to know before we started recording, I actually I actually asked you this because I was looking at your numbers and I never I, I just, you know, especially going back to the year with the with the Islanders, I was really upset, like pissed that they didn't keep you. But I, I just think it's amazing for the numbers that you put up. And this isn't anything you have to answer. I just want everybody to know this. If you go and look at your hockey DB, like you put up these, you know, really, really good numbers, you know, and like say play yeah. with some sandpaper, you put up numbers and for for a guy like that, you think you'd find a home and like a long term home mm-hmm. with an organization somewhere. So that's why mm-hmm. I, I I have to tell people I had to ask you like what was what was going on because you seem mm-hmm. like a guy that you could just pick up and put into a team, and you know maybe you play you know four or five years in the organization, you get some show games, you, you know maybe you're right. a mainstay in the American League. I still mm-hmm. to this day, and especially after speaking with you all this time, I still yeah. don't know what the story was, but. I gotta say, yeah. if I if I had a team, I was a GM. Man, you could have played for me any day. I would have been happy to have you in my organization. I I don't really know what the story was, but uh, I just have to say that, like you know, for what you did, the production that uh, the numbers you put up and the way you played, man, you could have played for me for your entire career if it was uh, if it was something I could make happen. So, well, I I appreciate <laughs> that. I think you know, circumstances are circumstances, and we touched on it before, like. You know, the change, you know, changing teams was a circumstance of not being drafted by an organization, right? And then mm-hmm. also the fact that, you know, when I did sign, I was older. So I only had, you know, one year where a team, you know, obviously the Islanders didn't qualify me for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then Vancouver qualifies me only once, but then I'm in free agency already, right? So, you know, it's circumstances in a way, and, you know, you think you're chasing an opportunity. You know, I always say that if, you know, if I was drafted at 18 and, you know, I stayed with, you know, let's say Vancouver, you know, where you play three, four, five years because they're they're going to keep you and they invest in you. You know, that, that was a situation I probably wish I had. You know, I never got it, but I wish I did. You know, because like you're saying, you know, I felt like these things, you know, if I was in one place where you have that reputation within the organization, uh, 
you know, it goes a long way, right? And, uh, you know, you probably get a few more call-ups than I had, and, you know, you're probably in a different situation. But, you know, it is what it is. You, you make decisions, and uh, they're not always the right ones, but I'm, I'm happy about the experiences that I had. You know, like, to sign with Boston was a huge thrill, you know, for original six team and the whole, the whole deal. And, you know, and, and the thing I like the most is that, in all these different situations, you're able to come in, and it's it's so unusual because you only have one year, right, it seems, and then, you know, you sign somewhere else or whatever decisions you make, but if you can make the impact that I was able to make where you're talking about, you know, with these, uh, you know, not, not only on the ice but off the ice, um, you know, I thought that was, you know, that was important. It, it, it's not always easy to do when you go in as a new guy and, uh, you know, to have an effect in the community or to have an effect in – and, you know, the one thing I am blessed with because of all these situations, I have a ton of buddies, you know, and I have a ton of relationships that I'll have forever. And uh, in all these places, I created relationships that still to this day uh, are there. And, uh, and that means a lot to me, you know, and I always felt like I was true to who I was. You know, I never tried to be something I wasn't. Um, do I, you know, do I wish, like you're saying, that, yeah, listen, I, I appreciate it, and, and I wish there was an opportunity to do those things where you stay with someone for a long period of time, but that, you know, that wasn't my career, and that's just not the way it played out, right? So, uh, you know, and then on the ice to, you know, to, to score 20 goals three times in a row, so that was a huge deal for me for, for a guy that needed to find his game and then did find his game because I know, you know, the analytics behind it, I was – one of only two players in the American League at the time that was able to do 20-20-20. So, you know, you sit there and, yeah, you can be you can be upset about it and say, you know, how come or why, but, uh, you know, you, you know me through this interview. Uh, I more or less look at it as this is just the way it was for me. I was happy to play in the NHL and be able to say I did it. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the one thing that uh, I feel confident in saying is when you put your head on your pillow at night, I mean, I, you really can't say you, that. You, I mean, you probably can think about stuff you could have done because that's mm -hmm. the, that's just an individual thing. But from an outsider's point of view, I'm looking at it like you really couldn't have done much more, you know, than, than what you did. But like I said, you can probably mm -hmm. pick apart, well, this shift in the second period of this game <laughs> against Binghamton. But you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, you, yeah. from the outside, you gave everything you had. So, um you know, but uh, so we get to your final season in North America. Uh, I, I, uh, you're with uh, Texas, like you said again, another 20 goal year, 47 points. Uh, another ex Islander head coach. Uh, what do you uh, think about Derek Laxdahl as a coach? Yeah, Lax, Lax had played with my dad a little bit, so there was a relationship there too. Um, he he was good, you know. Like Lax was uh, relatively, you know, on the newer side of of the coaching world like I don't mean like he was a new coach but right. the, you know the new way you know he right. was more of a, a you know a, a gentler touch on on players to you know not be super abrasive and, and I thought that was fine you know it worked, it worked for me well he gave me an opportunity obviously that was you know that was the best year I, I ever had in the American League um you know and again we, we were talking about circumstances and what happens you know the Bruins had an interest in, in keeping me but what ended up happening was July 1st I got an offer uh, my first ever offer from Russia and it was a big offer and it was something that I had to really consider and when talking to my agent I said I don't really have a dream at this point I it said you know I'm coming off 20 goals where I feel confident that if someone can give me a chance I could play in the NHL but he said you know I think you should consider this because it was it was the Red Army team and uh, it was a lot more money than I had ever seen in my life so you know I, w I went through that for 
uh, I guess it's nine days. So July 1 to July 9, trying to figure out, like, you know, we got the offer, we don't have the offer. And basically what ended up happening was you miss all that, you know, that free agency time, and, it, and, you know, it ended up falling through, you know, about, I guess, July 11th, you know, which is heartbreaking because, you know, you're kind of saying, okay, well, let's give this a shot. You know, it's still a great league and obviously the best team over there too. Right. Uh, but in reality, you know, similar to my career, you know, it it put me in a worse spot where you're like, man, like all these teams have already signed their two-way guys. You know, now I was buying the eight ball. So, you know, it, it shows you with that question. Like, you know, these are circumstances that people don't see. They just wonder why did he, you know, why did he end up changing teams or whatever. Right, um, right. You know, that's just that was just the reality of it. You know, so I was buying the eight ball. And, uh, you know, my agent called me. He said, look, like, I know you're not going to want to hear this after scoring 20 goals, but you know, I think you got to sign this with Austin and sign an HL deal. And I said, well, you know, obviously disappointed. I said, you know, how does this happen? Like, I didn't take a step back in the game. Like, I'm, I'm only getting better. You know, I thought that sucked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to do it. But he said, they're going to give you an opportunity uh, to play. And, you know, if you, if you have a, a good start, blah, 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 which they right. always say. But, right, uh, right. you know and it'll surround to an NHL deal. So, you know, that those are the things that bother me the most probably because you're hoping for truth. You know, I, I had six points in two games start that year, and I had, like, I think I was in the top ten in scoring, like, December 1st. And, you know, I, I had a fight. I was working hard. I was a good teammate. So, you know, I did – I held my end of the bargain up as a player. You know, that's how I felt. And, you know, I loved playing there. And I, you know, I really did. And, and I thought I gave everything I possibly could to show them. And they had some injury trouble, you know, a ton that year, where it was a year if I was on an NHL deal playing the way I was, so, you know, you'd probably get games. But um, it didn't work out that way, you know. So what uh, can you do? Yeah. So do you remember your last fight here in North America? Well, I shouldn't say that. You come back every summer. I don't know if this was actually your last fight in North America. <laughs> your last on-ice fight in North America versus Brett Sutter of Ontario. Yeah, he, he smoked him on a bad head. Not a bad head, but, you know, not a great hit. Kind of one that looked bad. Helmet goes flying off. And, again, like, you you know, usual, you know, I, obviously I was relied on for heavy minutes, but, you know, that was, an, you know, something that I still had in the bag and, and felt confident to protect my teammates. And it was something that went a long way in the room, too, you know, for a guy that was obviously at the top of the scoring and stuff like that that could do that, too, was uh, was good. You know, it was good for me. It was something I always can have. You know, I want to try to still always be that, and still to this day I try to. So, Before we go any further, there's been something that I wanted to kind of squeeze in. I didn't know exactly where it was, but on your social media, uh, you have you used the name DeFabio. Now, I'm assuming uh-huh. that that is a play off of your last name and maybe the model Fabio, or I'm hoping so. So I'm wondering what the story <laughs> is behind the name. Yeah, it's re- honestly, there's really no story. Unfortunately, I don't know why I did that. Oh. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think when, you know, it was basically when Twitter started really becoming bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't what it is these days, right? Like, so it just kind of has been there forever, and I didn't, uh, I didn't make a conscious decision to to do anything. I just 
figured everybody was doing it different on, you know, Twitter back then and, and so on. And it's kind of just stuck. And, so, you know, some guys do call me Fabio, but it has <laughs> cer- certainly nothing to do with being a model. I can tell you that, Joe. So I, w- I would like to say that it would be, but it's not. So. All right, I had to ask because I know there were various times in your career you had that luscious mane going. So I didn't know if it had anything to do with that. So. <laughs> You know, my wife, my wife's been on me about the long hair. She wants to see it because that was before her time, and I don't, I don't cut it in me though. It takes too much, too much time out of my life. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the uh, capability of doing that anymore, so I just grow it out of my chin as long as I can. <laughs> That's where I'm at. It's no yeah. problem. So uh, you mentioned the opportunity, uh, the potential opportunity where you could have played overseas that fell through, that led you to playing uh, in Texas, but. Eventually, the uh, the Brandon DeFazio World Tour, as I call it, started, and you ended up uh, with the Kunlun Red Star. Uh, how did you end up there? And I know a lot of times people go over to the KHL because they end up getting more money than they ever would have had, or they're at a point in their career where maybe they want to start traveling. What what uh, led to your decision to go over there? Yeah, I think if we're gonna, you know if you're going to be honest, it was both you know, money and, uh, and experience and also the understanding of where, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly clear nowadays what's going on in the American league and you're not going to see the teams that you probably loved. And mm-hmm. back in the day where you're going to get a, a, you know, a ton of guys, uh, that have been around and teams will sign to win in the American league. And, you know, I could feel it, you know, I had the best year as I, you know, I'm not sure if we talked about it before, I mean, but that was my best year, you know, with 47 points, and I thought, uh, you know, I, I played well and probably deserved to be in the pitcher, but, you know, that doesn't happen. So it makes it pretty clear that if, you, if you're going to put up close to 50 points and you're not even getting a sniff, it's like, okay, well, this has become, you know, even more so now a business, and, and that's how I felt. You know, I, I, I hung around the idea of, you know, if I had 50 points, I could still play over here in North America and, Obviously, you don't want to give up the dream of playing the NHL, but I was, you know, turning 28, I think, and I was pretty clear. And also, remember, you know, I had an offer right away. Like, it was like I got home for a week, and I was with Newport at the time, Pat Morris, and he called me, and he says, you know, you got this amount of money offered to you, and I think you should seriously consider And I was like, geez, <laughs> um, you know, that's nice because for a guy that's grinded so long in the American League, and yeah, you make a good living, but you don't really change your life is what I always say. Right. You know, it's not, it's not like you're stacking away like you're playing in the NHL, but, you know, this was an opportunity for me to, you know, what I felt like something I deserved that I was never able to get, you know, at the NHL level. So um, he, he advised that I take it. Uh, I thought about it for a few days. It was a little awkward. You know, you're thinking about Russia and you're thinking about all these different things. You also have to remember uh, that they start training camp July 1st. So, oh, okay. you know, I was... I was just to get into my beer time and my golf time. And I'm like, well, this is me time. You know, this is my time. And they say, you know, you got to leave in five weeks if you want to do it. I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, I don't know. But, um, yeah, made, made the decision to do it. And, uh, you know, the whirlwind whirlwind of a year, my first year in Russia started. So now, uh, the team actually is based in China, correct? And, and yeah. if I read it correctly, uh, the home city where they normally play, I don't know if the building was being renovated, so your first time there, did you actually play in a different city than, than the normal city? So my, my, 
my first year with Kunlun, uh, the team, the team is supposed to be based out of Beijing always, and uh, they had a a reason to move, which I believe was like you said a rank thing that we ended up being in Shanghai, which uh, you know, Shanghai is uh, one of the most incredible cities you'll ever ever see in your life. Like really, it's um, it's on a level that I couldn't even explain to you. You know, it's a little it's a little ridiculous at first when you're talking about 35 million people in a city, but uh, Shanghai being that it is China, you think a lot of different things, but in reality, it was it was really westernized, and it's hard to explain unless you've been there, but it's almost as easy to, you know, to live in a place like, it's very similar because of the business side of things in Shanghai being such a hub that, um, you know, if you could find places within Shanghai that felt like home, so, like, we, we ended up really, really loving it uh, there, and uh, we, we felt at home uh, in a sense, obviously, that team too, because because they're not, they have different rules for imports, right? Like the Russian teams, you, you're going to get, uh, you might be on an, on an island, and you know you hear all these stories now on spitting chiclets, and it's it's certainly, it's certainly not that. You know, with this team, it's completely different. You you have every single guy speaks English. You know, we had Iron Mike Keenan as our coach. Yeah. Um, you know, so he's his meetings are in English, so you're not getting that real Russian league feel. You know, you're getting. 20 guys that are Canadian for the most part, American uh, families, you know, taking care of each other. So it was, it was more of that atmosphere I was used to, which is nice. You know, you get that transition over. uh, And again, you know, it is hard. It's your job's not, your job's not guaranteed in Russia. And that's the, that's something you got to think about every day. You know, you can be fired and they will get rid of you, Uh, you know, which is daunting at at times, no doubt, but Shanghai was, uh, was a blast really really was so what is the hockey scene like over there are are the fans into it obviously people you know khl you think russia you think moscow uh you think Mm -hmm. the russian hockey tradition with the red army you know anything like that but china's not the first place that comes to mind when you think about hockey what were the fans like there i think they're behind the eight ball with that right like hockey's just not um it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say they're really obviously trying, Joe. You know, like they really are. They have the Winter Olympics, and this is the reason they had that team to build uh, to build hockey within China. You know, it'll take some time, I think, you know, but if you look at the expansion of, of rinks throughout China, you know, it's growing like crazy. Uh, I think the Olympics coming up here will help a ton for exposure. You know it's different like it's it's almost uh, odd in a sense because you go from shanghai where it's you are playing in what i consider you know the second or third best league in the world um it, you know and, and it's just not there yet in china you know but then you go to like you're talking about where you play in moscow and it's hockey night in moscow and it's nuts i mean i couldn't i couldn't explain how big that league was in russia i had no idea you know maybe being naive and you think north american hockey is is everything and all and uh it, you know, it was eye-opening. Like, I couldn't believe it. You know, you go into places like Yaroslava, a small city, and Magnitogorsk, and these, like, hockey is everything. You know, they live for hockey. It's very similar to Canada in that sense. And, and I loved every second of it. Like, I really, I, I li- you know, I, I honestly found, you know, it was hard. And, uh, you know, our team, we grinded. And those teams are very, very good. But uh, I, after playing the American League for, you know, 450 games, it was nice. You know, it was nice. It felt like a bigger stage. You know, it felt like a stage I wasn't capable of getting to significantly for, you know, a significant time, 
you know, in the NHL, right? You know, that's a big stage for Russia. So those games are exciting, you know, and they get that Russian national anthem going, man, your, your hair is standing up and uh, it, can, it can be intimidating, no doubt. So you mentioned them already. Uh, you played for Mike Keenan that first year, and uh, I believe Bobby Carpenter was the assistant coach. So, like you said, the whole language thing wasn't an issue. Uh, what was it like playing for Mike Keenan? Had had you played for anyone like him before or since? <laughs> no. Uh, I'll tell you this. I sometimes wish he spoke Russian so I did understand what he was saying. <laughs> because... Uh, as br- brutally honest and uh, extremely demanding, he, mm. you know, he was uh, old school. You've, I mean, you've seen the stories, oh, you yeah. know, for people that have, uh, you know, know anything about Iron Mike, then you know what it would have been like, and he was yeah. no different, you know, if not if not harder in that, you know, that culture and that league, because that's, you know, that's what that league's known for is, is being hard on the players. I guess what I would say is that, yeah, every day, you know, was, was tough, and, and we weren't, we weren't great, so it was even harder, and you know, like I said, with that thought of, you know, can, can I, can you survive day to day? Um, you know, it, it was difficult. I think Mike appreciate, you know, deep down, I don't know that he ever told me it, but you know, he, I think he had an appreciation for the style I played and, and that helped obviously he, you know, it almost made it harder on me because he pushed me so hard, but, um, you know, I'm thankful for the, for the, you know, to have that with, with Iron Mike, obviously he's a legend in hockey and, I think if you can survive playing for him, then you can survive playing for anyone. And, uh, you know, there was some funny times with him, you know, he's, he'd come, come find you on the plane and give you shit. And, you know, you have guys hiding all over the airport. You're like, Oh God, like Iron Mike's doing over there. And you can just see it in his eyes. He's going to go find someone. Um, so he had a lot, a lot of guys hiding behind poles and a lot of guys hiding, pretending, you know, I, he would come walking down the plane sometimes and everybody would be like, oh, shit. So here he comes and be like, okay, everybody pretend to sleep. So everybody just put the blankets over their head and you hope he's not coming after you. But, yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike's had some health troubles recently. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've stayed in touch a little bit with him and tried to, obviously, during the year he's a different person, right? Like yeah. as a coach, he's completely separate to what he is – you know, not as a coach. And now that, you know, even when I went back to Kunlun, Mike put in a good word for me. So like I said, you know, at the time you think he, he could possibly hate you, but, um, you know, in the end, when I went back to Kunlun the second time, you know, he was my biggest advocate and talking to the owners and then the new coaches and stuff saying, you know, you got to sign this guy. He's a great kid. So all in all, I mean, all the shit, uh, you know, ended up being worth it because, you know, I was willing to do it. So Mike, Mike appreciated that. One thing I would imagine he probably did appreciate, um, that season you had 84 penalty minutes, and 42 of them came in one game uh, against, <laughs> I'm going to say, Barris Astana. Uh, that's the team. I don't know if I said it right, but uh, there was a player named uh, Artem uh, Litotnikov. I don't know if I said that right, but it's their fault for having such difficult names. Uh, tell me what happened in that game. That's a good one. I, I, I forgot that I got that many penalty minutes, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's a crazy place to play, actually. It's in Kazakhstan, so it, they have a just an amazing arena there and great fans. Really, really intimidating place. Like, I think they get, you know, I want to say that night there's probably close to 13,000, 14,000. And they actually, you know, the funny thing about that night was, you know, it was a war and we were going at it and, uh, you know, they have the Kazakh army there at the game sitting behind 
the net and, and you don't want to talk about being intimidated i mean these guys are wearing their full outfits and and they're no joke i mean they look scary and you know so you're thinking about that situation where i get in the big fight you know I, that guy went after someone and there was a scrum and i just came f- flying in and uh you know they had the reason why i got so many pallets was because they well they they said i was a third man in uh so i got the extra for that and it, it was a good fight like those guys you know that's the thing i i say all the time is there's a, there's a perception and i don't believe it's reality a lot of times with the you know russian kazakhs you know that style like they work hard and they you know there's some big boys um you know even guys you would know like Speedtop was in the league and uh it was another few guys anyways, but you just never knew over there. You know, that guy was one of the guys you, you would think for me, I fought a little bit. So you're like, oh, this guy probably, yeah, but you know, I was, I was certainly wrong. He, he was a big boy and could chuck him and it was a great fight. And, um, you know, I remember coming in the room after and Mike, you know, these are little, the little things that Mike did well. He was so fired up, uh, obviously in the atmosphere, like I said, with the army and the crazy crowd and it's a big, big thing going on and he came right to me after that in between periods and he gave me the biggest hug and I had never seen him do something like that like you know he was just so so pumped up that I stuck up for a teammate and he absolutely loved it but then it went downhill because I was on the PK chasing a guy and I did a like a one hand one handed like token like cup check kind of thing you know and it was nothing and it was Lyndon Vay, and he, I think still to this day he took a dive on me so you gotta ask him but he got me in big trouble because <laughs> I got a ridiculous spearing call. I got kicked out of the game, and I got escorted out by the Kazakh army, you know, oh, right shit. to the bus. And I'm like, this is a joke. I'm like, that was <laughs> such a joke. And, and then they scored on the power play and won. So I went from getting a hug after the first period to, uh, like I said, pretending to sleep or hiding behind poles in the airport because I thought Mike was going to kill me. So yeah, that was something. You got escorted from the rink by the actual army. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was like... Yeah, at least ten of them. I don't know that they were. I don't know that they were there to protect me, or I'm not sure. Or they thought, or they thought, or I was a liability, one or the other. But I just remember sitting in the bus by myself and being like, "Fuck, I hope people come on soon." Like, I, don't, I don't really feel too comfortable sitting out here by myself. So, but they do give you the big beers in Russia. Like that's the best tradition they have going in hockey, I think. So, the the team you play, they have to put the big leader beers. Oh, so nice. whatever their home home beer is and they're really cold and they're in the, they're in the back of the bus always so you know if, if a team comes to play us we get them beers if we come to play them they get us beers and i thought that was fucking awesome to be honest with you were they on the bus already that night did you get first crack before the rest of the boys yeah i probably had so much anxiety i probably drank like five and i'm just trying to settle down <laughs> be like holy smokes mike's gonna kill me mike's gonna kill me i'm like oh my god just keep drinking these something will feel normal eventually <laughs> so there's a, there's been a lot of stories um you know from people that played in in uh, the khl about getting paid and things like that uh, did you yeah. ever have any issues with that or everything was on the up and up there i would say again like that organization's you know very good with that stuff you know we got paid on time every time you know uh i think i think in general you know i've, I've had these conversations in interviews before and I'm not sure if it's if it's a situation where obviously the league's change. You have to remember, you know, yeah. you know, they, they're really trying to be, uh, you know, a league that people are going to stop talking about this stuff. You know, yeah. they want to be legit. They want these things 
uh, where they can be recognized worldwide as a as a destination. So, and then furthermore, you know, like Kunlun was was very very good with uh, paying, and you know, never there was never any issues, and you know, they paid for our housing and you know, all these all this separate stuff, equipment and stuff like that. And I, I never had a single problem, you know, and uh, which is always makes life easier. But I I say like I was just so grateful to play. Uh, in, in a league that I thought was more challenging uh, than the American League every night, you know, so I was eyes wide open and, and excited always, you know, and, and I think, Joel, a lot of these guys that do go over, and, it, and I'm not judging them for it, but they like to talk about the stories, and they have different experiences for sure. I didn't play for a true Russian team, so I can't right. judge them for, the, you know, the shit that they went through, but they're mostly guys that come from the NHL, mm-hmm. right? So they're, you know, they might have played 400 games in the NHL. They're used to the private planes that are unbelievable. They're used to the, you know, they're used to a, a life that I never knew. So I, I didn't really care much. Uh, you know, I thought that, you know, we got to charter our own plane. We had our own plane, and that was cool enough. You know, yeah. like I, you know, and I was making money that I never had made before, so I didn't care. But, you know, those other guys, you know, it is fun to talk about their stories. And, you know, yeah, there is crazy stuff. You know, there's, there's no doubt. But, you know, coming from different you know, ways to get there, uh, I think has a big effect on how you feel it really is. Right. Yeah. I always, uh, after you hear all the stories the the one person I always imagined being on the, the Russian side, the negotiating side, I always picture the guy who picked up, uh, Rocky from the airport in Rocky four. And he's sort of like yeah. really direct and he's yeah. just kind of like this yeah. stoic guy that, you know, he's a gangster yeah. and everything. So like a Russian, yeah. and I'm always, that's always the guy that I picture whenever I hear about like the horror stories over there is that guy. And, uh, what can you do about it? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, that's the culture. There's, there's yeah. strong people and, I mean, if you if you know how to, you know, they're very traditional, right? Yeah. So if you if you if you fuck around with their traditions, and you're going to be in a tough spot. And I don't necessarily mind that, you know. I guess I, it didn't bother me that much. And I guess for some people, it's it's a culture shock. For me, I I just thought it was they cared about their country, they yeah. lived a certain way, and we're coming over there to 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 mesh into that. Yep. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, there's there's some crazy differences and and they're eye opening. You know, when I landed in Moscow July first, thinking you know, holy smokes, like what am I doing? Uh, you know, you have to. I had to try to find a driver. I mean, and it's. I mean, I, I couldn't explain how hard that was, and you know, there wasn't much help. And you're like you're saying, the stoic driver that yeah. you think, hey, man, like this guy could take you anywhere. Like you think. <laughs> You think he's taking you to the hotel, and you think all is all is good, but who knows, right? You know, and that's kind of that naive. You think everything's going to go wrong at first, right? Yeah. But in reality, you learn pretty quick. I mean, it's just just like anywhere, you can you can survive. Yeah, no, I and I can appreciate the way the way they handle their traditions and everything because I'm I'm of the belief where if you if you move, let's just say I move to Japan. Like, I don't expect Japan to conform to me. I feel like I need to conform to their country and their traditions and and, and everything else that goes along with it. I'm not going to be the guy that sticks out like a, store, a sore thumb and say, hey, you guys should do this and you guys should do that. I, I think it's, it's uh, incumbent upon me to kind of adapt to their way of life because I'm in their place now. So, so I can absolutely appreciate that attitude. I think you, I think you got to be open-minded, and yeah. if you're capable, like you just said, if you're capable of understanding, look at like you're not the you're not the norm here, and and just try to make it work. You know the the little stuff that I learned, you know, at the rink, and, 
it, it may sound it, it may sound crazy to people, which you know it sounded crazy to me at first that you're not you know they're so so superstitious and and respectful and they have these routines. You know, my first year we had half you know a decent amount of Russian players, so. You know, we were meshing and trying to figure that stuff out where you got to shake everybody's hand when you get to the rink every day. You know, you you know, you don't transfer money hand to hand. You know, if you put it on the table, you know, like this this kind of stuff I learned over time. You know, you know it's really bad luck if you whistle inside, a, you know, inside of a building. You know, these things, oh, wow. you know, at first at first it's like, oh, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, uh, you know, for us. But then you realize, listen, that's the way they that's the way they grew up. And that's fine. So you yep. just, you know try to try to be a good teammate like you would anywhere and and uh, and go along with it and you learn something you know i got to play with some pretty cool players that first year i mean like for me playing with alexei ponikarovsky was you know very it was a very cool experience he was a big time player for the leafs and you know like you know i played with andre kostitsin who was a big player for the Habs, and you know his story is pretty funny and an interesting guy and he's been you know all over the place and there was guys like that hanging around that I thought it was really neat just to, to be around. And then obviously I created, you know, I created one of the best relationships I have in hockey, you know, and will be, will be for life, you know, with Brandon Yip. And, you know, I think we talked about him earlier, but he's just, um, he's just a phenomenal person. And, you know, that's what hockey does for you. It doesn't matter if you're playing in China or, or Kazakhstan or where, you know, Russia, like uh, hockey's hockey. And, uh, you know, that relationship specifically with Yip or, you know, he's, he's close to me, close to my family, close to my wife. You know, he, he, you know, buys all this stuff for my daughter all the time, you know, and that's what you get in hockey always. So, um, you know, I loved it. Now, uh, the end of the season comes, and I guess you just were on a one-way, uh, one-year contract, and uh, you decided to go to Finland. How did that come about? Yeah, I, I, had, I had a really good start in Russia. Like, you know, I had, I had 10 goals and... I don't know, 30, 30 some odd games. So I was on pace to probably stick around in Russia again. But then I, you know, I really shit the bed and obviously Mike got fired and, you know, there's a whole bunch of turmoil and then we were kind of just surviving, you know, and, and I didn't play so well, you know, to finish. So I, th- I thought Finland, you know, Finland, for people that don't know about Europe, I guess I would say that fin- Finland's, you know, obviously, again, a huge hockey country, you know, hockey's, hockey's number one there. So, and I also know over here in Europe, you know, Finland's a kind of a feeder league back to the big money leagues is what I say. You know, Finland, Sweden would be probably considered those kind of leagues where, you know, you can maintain that high level in Europe. And if you do well, then you could go back to the big money in Russia or Switzerland and, and so on and so forth. So I kind of bet on myself in a sense that uh, I said, I'll go back to Finland. I want another crack at this and let's see. Um, and, you know, it turned turned out to be a phenomenal choice. So. Uh, you had 40 points, 59 games. Uh, again, betting on yourself, to me, this just continues for everything we've discussed already on and off the air about how you're always putting up numbers, whether it's North America or overseas. Uh, second on the team in goals, led the team in penalty minutes again. Uh, how did the how did the play in Finland compare to the play in uh, Kunlun? Well, I, I, th- I think um, different, you know, for sure different. I think Russia is, is very much... You know, at, at the highest skills skill set you'll see, um, you know, outside of you know the NHL, right? Yeah. Fin- Finland is as as fast as hockey can get, right? So everybody said, you know, and, and I like this because people always say, well, he can't skate, and you know, it's my biggest thing that you know he, he doesn't skate at a level where he's going to be able to. And, and people specifically said before I went to Finland that that probably won't work, 
Uh, so I, I enjoyed being able to do well, to be honest, because, you know, it's it's known for being a real high pace, real fast level of hockey. And, uh, you know, to have the year, you know, I, I was fortunate, I will say, that I had what I considered, you know, the best center, uh, an unknown then, you know, his first year to Europe in Justin Danforth, who, who now uh, people would know because he's had so many good years and, and is actually with Columbus right now on a one way and a pretty great story, but I had him as a center and he was phenomenal. Like he was like, he really was an amazing hockey player. I knew right away, like I was calling guys back home and I was like, like you, you guys got to seriously consider signing this guy because he, he didn't get a real chance back home. He played in the coast and, you know, maybe 12, 13 games in the American league. He comes over to Finland that year with me. The first year we played in the line all year and he's got like 56 points. Like right. he was, uh, he was at a high level. And uh, obviously now I hope, I hope for him it turns into games in the NHL because what a cool story. He played his first preseason game this year at 28, um, wow. signed the one-way with Columbus after being top five in Russia last year, and uh, he's got a sniff right now to play his first ever NHL game at 28, so uh, stay tuned on that. But, yeah, having him on the line was pretty neat. Well, as as has been the case for as long as I can remember, if he does get games in, he will undoubtedly yeah. score his first NHL goal against the Islanders. I, I've always said there are <laughs> there are more Islander pucks all over the world on plaques that say first NHL goal than any other team. So uh, now I'm nervous if I see him playing against the Islanders. <laughs> he no doubt will get his first NHL goal against the Islanders. So that's something to look for. Um, I don't have much yeah. uh, about your time in Finland. There wasn't a whole lot out there. Uh, any mm-hmm. crazy stories, any memorable things from your time in Finland? Uh, not really. I mean, Finland was a quiet, quiet lifestyle, you know, as polar opposite as he could have, you know, to the year before. Right. And we had, we had just had our first kid and, you know, had the family over and it was a nice life. Like I, Rauma, you know, was where I played. It's a small city. Um, so it was just, you know, big hockey city, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was a simple way of life, especially after the year before where it's, it's so hectic with the flights, you know, that that year before I was on the plane for, I think someone added it up and it was like 400 hours we did, you know, where your, your time, your time changing on levels. You wouldn't even, I couldn't even explain it. Right. You know, you, you could fly into Russia and change time zones by seven hours and you got to play the next day. And then you could be a four, a four hour time change and another, you know, and that was after, you know, you always start with a 15 hour flight. Right. So, I mean, uh, you know, then you go to the simple life and, you know, the small town of Finland and, you know, your buses are simple and, so it was nice, you know. I, I enjoyed it. I thought uh, I had a good team that year. Again, like you get to you get to learn new cultures, new new stuff. And and again, being naive, I had I had no clue how big. I mean, I knew Finnish hockey was big, but you know that's front page news for them. And uh, it was neat to be a part of. So does that mean that? <clears throat> excuse me. Does that mean both your daughters have dual citizenship with different countries? Uh, she was supposed to actually, she was supposed to be born in Finland and, uh, she came early. So we, she, we, she was born in Oakville and where oh, okay. I'm from, okay. uh, in Canada was supposed to, but, uh, no, just, just the one lucky girl gets to be Bavarian and German. So <laughs> uh, she'll, she'll have that on her sister at least. Ah, very cool. So, uh, so what led to, like you said, is this, the you went to Finland and, uh, to get back to the bigger leagues and. Next year, mm-hmm. you find yourself back in Kunlun. So was that the plan to kind of make it a one-year deal and then try to go back to the KHL? Uh, or did you just like Kunlun better? Like, what was what led to that decision? 
Yeah, exactly. Like I kind of, like I said, I, I, I bet on myself to have a big year. And if you can have over 40 points in Finland, you're probably going to get the bigger, you know, the bigger money leagues and teams calling. And, you know, thankfully I was able to do that, which, which is an accomplishment I felt at, at the age I was at, right? You know, a lot of times I think that, you know, if your back's against the wall and the older you get, sometimes you, you lose that instinct. And, you know, I certainly didn't feel that way. I, I really was desperate to have a huge year and, uh, you know, try to get back to, to the KHL or, or wherever it might have been. But, um, yeah, obviously, again, with the, with the relationship I built with, you know, Brandon Yip and, and also with the people that worked around Kunlun a little bit that uh, – he helped out a lot. You know, I was, I was pretty set on signing in Germany for a two year deal. And, you know, he, he got involved and was like, you know, I think you should seriously consider giving this another shot. And, and obviously financially it's, you know, it's a fairly big difference. So, you know, my wife pushed me as she always has, um, you know, albeit a harder life for her. Um, she said, why not? This is what you wanted to do when you went to Finland. You know, your goal was try to prove that you could get back to Russia and you have the opportunity. And then obviously the relationships already, you know, just, just do it. So, you know, you got to give her a lot of credit in that situation because, um, you know, obviously Germany and, and, and different leagues is so much easier on the families. And then, you know, to be back in China and that lifestyle again is significantly harder for her, but you know, it's something that we wanted to do. And when you uh, go back to Kunlun now, there's a, you have a teammate there that has come up in a few different <laughs> interviews that I've done. Uh, what was it yeah. like playing with Garrett Hunt? <laughs> it was a blast. Like yeah. uh, to watch people look at him in that league was pretty entertaining, to say the least. Like I think it, like he he would scare people on a level like you've never seen because they had no idea. Like this yeah. guy was. You know he's got the he's got everything intimidation wise you'd ever want if you know and you know what he does and he's mm-hmm. he's all over the place screaming at, at people and he's in warm up skating halfway into their end and you know I remember the one game he uh, and, and again he, he was he was an amazing teammate like mm-hmm. he really was and he would do anything for anybody and a lot of fun like a really hilarious person and obviously he's got I think he's got the penalty minute record in the coast right uh, that I'm not sure about he might I mean he I, played there for so long so. Yeah, he might like he might have the career most pims. I, I'm not sure. Anyways, yeah, you know he was he would. I remember the one time something happened in a game to someone, and we played him again the next game. And I swear to God, he was giving it to this guy in warm up so badly that like I honestly did. I felt a little bad. Like the guy was so scared, and sure enough, he he never came back to play that game. He he pulled the hammy or something to warm up because he was not out there anymore. So he. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we we had we had one huge brawl uh, against a team called Torpedo, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, have a guy like that in that league, like there's there's nobody else, you know, right. Really on on his level, so there they started a brawl and they were up six two, and you know he said <laughs> so he went out on a five on three, they're on a five on three, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't let some poor soul off the hook. He he was making a statement that you don't do that to our team. So I loved him. I thought it was hilarious. Bit of a circus watching him out there, but he loved it that way, and, and we loved it too. Now, the guy behind the bench, he's still, yeah. I don't care how old he is, that guy is as intimidating as it comes. I was a monster fan of his when he played. It was un- unfortunate 
you know, a lot of time when when uh, he played, he was in Vancouver, so we didn't get to see a lot of him here in New York. But yeah. going through the old fight tapes and everything, I had the opportunity to meet him once, and uh, he was an assistant coach here for a little bit. Uh, I love the guy. What was it like playing for Kerr Fraser? Yeah, what, one of the, uh, you know, I didn't see, like I knew that about, his, you know, him being that way. But yeah. if you meet him, like he he couldn't possibly be a nicer person yeah. like really like a you know just a really really kind person and always asking about the families and he was just that way and mm-hmm. um you know he, he certainly had that intimidation factor though and his hands were like <laughs> the biggest the biggest hands you ever seen you know like and it was like man this guy must have killed people and then you know from what you're saying he did but yeah uh, yeah kind, really kind person i had a ton of ton of respect for kurt uh in a tough situation there you know the the logistics of that year were a nightmare, right? Like we, we ran into COVID and, um, you know, that was the start of this whole shit show. And it, for him to come from, you know, be playing, you know, being with Dallas and then to come to that, it takes a lot, you know, for him to stay calm and to handle all these logistical nightmares. You're always putting out fires, you know, you got to get visas and people here. And it's, you know, he did it, he did it in stride and did it the best he could. And, and I'm sure it weighed on him, you know, handling all that. Then you get, you know, we had to leave China in, in January and we went on a 52 day road trip. Like oh, we played, like we, we played everywhere, you know, and, and he's trying to get his team into playoffs and half the guys can't even see straight. They're so tired. I mean, you talk about a road trip and people in the NHL are bitching about, you know, a week, a week or two weeks on the West coast. It's like, yeah, come come try fifty two days in Russia. I mean, you know. So he he handled it, and uh, you know we just barely just barely lost out of playoffs, and I think it was completely unfair how we did it. You know, we we were playing home games in the road team's rink, so like they were, you know, they have the fans, and we're yeah okay great we get lost change. I mean, who gives a shit? So yeah. we were behind the we were behind the eight ball. We certainly tried. Kurt tried, and we had Steve Casper too. Who, okay. you know, I was uh, I was really close with Steve Casper, and he was a good hockey mind too. And uh, so yeah, I always say that the two people. I think I have pretty decent sized hands, but the two people who I actually checked to make sure my hands was still attached to my arm, Kurt Fraser and <laughs> Eric Cairns, those two guys, uh, two of the uh, and they, and the, and it's not like you can always tell when you shake someone's hand when they're they're doing it on purpose to try to like I don't know be the alpha in the handshake, but those two guys, yeah. you know, they're not even trying, and you still hope your hand is there. I know, right? Like, he, yeah, both those guys, Karenzy too. Yeah, yeah. Karenzy's like, a, he's he's an intimidating guy, but he's so goofy that yeah. he takes the intimidation right out of it right away. <laughs> thank God, you know. But like, yeah. if if Karenzy really wanted to be intimidating, he you know, he, and same with Kurt. You yeah. know, they're just both really good people, so you don't see it. But yeah, those those hands are. <laughs> you, you don't want to get hit hit by them. That's for sure. Definitely not. So I, I was going to, I didn't know when to, when the whole COVID thing uh, started because you're still playing all the, you know, these, these consecutive seasons. And obviously I only know how COVID affected us here in North America. I didn't know how COVID affected everything over there. So, so this was yeah. the first, so it started with Kunlun and then um, the next season you found yourself headed to, well, you started in the Czech Republic. So I guess the first question is how did you end up there? Uh, and I guess you're saying everything was kind of a shit show with Kunlun uh, towards the end of that season. So what made you go to the Czech Republic? Uh, I mean, that that was, I mean, it was such a, 
hard to explain, I guess. Everybody, we, we talked about a little bit, you know, before we got into this interview and, the, you know, the effects of what was going on in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed, it seemed with that summer, for whatever reason, everything just went a little south for yeah. for me outside of hockey and mm-hmm. inside of hockey. And, you know, everybody felt it. You know, it, it was happening. And I say a lot of times, you know, sports can be impervious to real life and you know i felt that summer i felt all the same things that uh that everybody was feeling you know you you can't get a job because of you know the financial situations within the leagues were were so bad um you know nobody knew what to do and then you know on my personal life you know my brother was uh was battling cancer at the time uh you know you know, he was an absolute animal and, uh, you know, obviously beat it and is doing amazing. But, you know, all that stuff kind of came at once. And, you know, it was just, and I, you know, I ended up getting COVID too. Okay. You know, right, right, you know, in September, you know, it really messed me up, to be honest. Like, I, you know, if I'm being honest, yeah. which I'd prefer to, you know, be, like I think a lot of people are hiding from it, but, you know, it can affect you. And it, it certainly did to me. So you throw all that kind of, you know, at you at once, right? And that's that's real life shit. And yeah. uh, you know, I wanted to play, and I maybe made a decision, you know, to go play where I had to, right? And you know, with all that going on, I just I don't know that I was, I certainly wasn't at my best, which I which I said, you know, I I hadn't played hockey in nearly ten months, yeah. right? And yeah. I like I flew over and played, <laughs> like you know, in hindsight, you know, how stupid was it? you know, and dangerous, you know, I, I was changing time zones, I flew over, hadn't played in the, you know, like I said, the nine to ten months, mm-hmm. and then, the, you know, they threw me on a bus for five hours and said, okay, you're going to play, and, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know that that was the best decision, you know, in reality, and, and obviously it didn't work out, you know, and then it was because of COVID with the situation of visas, like, I wasn't going to be able to to get my family there in the timeline I wanted to, and I was done with that, like, I, you know, I had no interest in living that way, right. uh, you know, not at that time, and obviously we call it. It was tough, tough that everybody couldn't figure out what was allowed and what wasn't. And you know, I basically made the decision with the relationship I had here, where I'm at now with Ingolstadt, that they said, "I we can get your family here immediately." I said, "Done." You know, I'm I'm out of here. And uh, and uh, you know, the team in Czech was good about it. You know, they understood yeah. and. You know, they had a stand-up, stand-up GM that obviously it didn't work out, and I couldn't give them the best I wanted to at the time, and without my family, and they understood, and you know, we made it happen. So, long drive through the night in the darkness through Czech and in, in Germany by myself in a rental car, and uh, you know, like I kind of the rest is history with Ingolstadt because I I absolutely love it here. So, so you get there, uh, you play. 37 games, 21 points, 83 pims. And uh, coach, I believe uh, Doug Shedden was the coach, is still the coach. Is that correct? Yeah, Shed, Shed's is the coach. And he played with played with Dean. So, yep. you know, come, coming in, had that relationship to, you know, kind of gives you, a, you know, a feel of, of knowing someone, right, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it was good. He's, he's a great coach. And, Obviously, I've, he's he's been around a long yeah. time too, right? So it was a little easier coming from Jack to, to him, and and he, you know, him and I would say and the GM, you know, in Engelstadt, Larry Mitchell, his name is. He's been around for a long time, and those two, they completely understood what COVID was doing, you know, and 
they were honest about it. They said, you know, this is what's happening. We understand you guys can't make as much money as you deserve to make with what's going on with no crowds and stuff. And, uh, you know, they made it, they made it enjoyable year out of some pretty harsh realities. And, you know, I'm pretty thankful to both of them for, for being able to do that in a situation where you're not even sure, you know, you can play hockey and, you know, handling all the, all the shit that was going with the testing and no fans and the wipes are stuck with no support and stuff. They, they made it as good as possible. So, so for someone like yourself and the style that you play, when you're on the ice, you make yep. things happen. You throw in a big hit, you're scoring a big goal. Mm-hmm. You're, you're uh, dropping the gloves. You're used to hearing that, that crowd and you're used to that energy. And now you're playing in rinks and they're empty. And what, I mean, what is that like where you're, it's almost like you're hearing every puck hit the boards, like a, like a morning skater or practice, but this is for real. These games count. How weird is that? It's, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's just not, it's never going to be the same. I would like to say that you, you love hockey enough that it's, you know, once you're into the game, you're into the game and that's, that's fine. And everything still feels the same, but there is you know, for me, being an energy player, I found it extremely difficult because, you know, I always played my best years, I thought, where, you know, the crowd was a factor and you feel it's important. You know, you can feel when you have those ozone shifts going and you run a couple of people over and you get the chances at net or you score the big goal. I mean, that's what you live for, right? You know, you, you live for uh, that just pure, pure emotion that you get in those situations and we all we all felt it. There's no doubt. I thought once we got to playoffs, it, it was nice. Mm-hmm. We actually, uh, you know, Germany's known for their fans too, Joe. Like I don't, I don't know if you you would know that, but they're they're absolutely like I couldn't even like on a different level. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like this. Like like now this year, I'm seeing it. Um, you know, you go into Berlin, you go into Mannheim, you go into these places. Like I'm talking twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand, and they are nuts. Like we you know, we're feeling it now and it's pretty cool that I get to do it. And I've been able to do both ways, but last year we get into playoffs uh, and, and we roll up to the rink and there's about 2000 fans outside. And, you know, that was a pretty cool moment oh, to see yeah. people kind of get back, get back together. And after all the stuff that was going on for everybody, uh, it was, it was really nice. How are things in Germany now? Are they kind of back to normal? Is uh, everyone's kind of out and about doing uh doing what they're doing or you know i know here every state is different you know in the u.s and i think in canada you know if you compare ontario to say saskatchewan it's kind of like night and day how are things in germany right now um i would i would say fairly normal you know Mm -hmm. but kind of getting getting to a little bit of a gray space here again which is a little bit of a worry Mm -hmm. you know and i think everybody's seen a little bit of that I, I think the league, you know, from a hockey standpoint, is is fairly normal because our vaccination rates are pretty high. Like our team's 100%, which is good. But mm. you know, in the last last two weeks, like we've seen teams go down again, and yeah, uh, yeah wor- worries the shit out of me because it's mm. like you know you don't want to you don't want to go down this path again, and and everybody wants the world to get back. And right. but I would I would say you know restaurants are open, obviously with vaccine proof or. Mm or a test and, you know, mass and, you know, fans, they do vaccine. If you're vaccinated, you can come. And so it's some, somewhat normal within, you know, abnormal times. Right. But yeah. like I said, I think you're probably, I don't know what is you're feeling that too, where it's kind of creeping back up and it's like, you know, hopefully, hopefully yeah. we can manage this. 
yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, it's kind of weird to talk about on ice stuff after you talk about something serious like COVID. But uh, I, the yeah. one, the one uh, bout that I saw that you had last season uh, was against Ryan McKiernan of Berlin. So is Berlin? You know, obviously Berlin is one of the bigger cities in Germany. Is that one of the the main teams in the league? Is that one of your big rivals? And what do you remember about the fight? Yeah, they they're you know one of the one of the bigger teams. I would say Munich, Berlin, and Mannheim. Uh, are the three biggest, and you know Berlin's got a huge hockey history, big big city, big rink. They have a beautiful beautiful rink. Like it's uh, it's mimicked after the Staples Center, I believe, or you know the, the same the same builder, same owner owns okay. Berlin as the you know the Kings, and they always have an amazing team. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean obviously it's a little bit of a rivalry now because we we lost to them in playoffs, but I'm not sure it's a natural rivalry, but. Certainly, always when you play those big teams, but I had, I had a hit there that you know I it was kind of a tough spot. You know, a guy I thought was going to hit me, and I reverse hit him, trying to kind of protect myself, and you know ended poorly. And I felt I almost felt sick to my stomach, to be honest, Joe. And in, in hockey, those situations happen, but I never want to hurt anybody, and you know, unfortunately, hurt hurt the younger player on their team. And so McKiernan has to fight. So uh, I got a ton of pims and. You know, it wasn't the way you want to get the most pins, you know, in, in league history, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was one of those situations you feel awful because, you know, someone's hurt and obviously I was going to respond and I knew I had to. And, uh, you know, I actually, we just played them, I guess, you know, at the time we were heading into probably playing playoffs. So you're trying to maintain some level of that competition, uh, albeit you do feel awful. Uh, but you know, I talked to him in warmups. The guy, you know, the young guy I hit the other day, actually, and I said, you know, I, I really hope you're all right. Like it really ate me inside. I can't explain it. You know, there's something about you know, if you get in a fight, you're willing, and, and anything can happen. And I've been punched hard in the face, and everybody has, and things go south, and that's fine. Uh, you know, those situations are unfortunate to see. So you know, I was happy to kind of close that chapter, honestly, with them. You know, a couple weeks ago. So that's good. And uh, in the so you played Berlin in the playoffs then last year, last season. Yeah, we ended up beating beating Munich. Uh, I was actually able to score the series o- OT winner, which was. Ah, uh, oh, you just stole like my said, thunder. I was just going to ask you about. Uh, I didn't know who the goal was against, but I knew one of. The, I knew your goal was a pretty big one. So tell me about that. Well, I'm, I'm just that egotistical Joe, that I had to talk about it myself. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, it's no, a, you know, that's okay. No, it's with everything we just talked about, right? Like right. with the year I had and you know, everything was going on and now my brother's recovered and doing well and everybody's coming back around. You know, I felt myself again within the game and you know, it was a big moment for me and the family for sure to score that goal and to beat a team like Munich who is considered, you know, probably the best if, if you know, one of those top teams that, you know, a team like us, we were the, the underdog and we're able to do that and the feeling of emotion considering everything we went through with the no fans and testing every day and the wives can't really leave the house and all the shit you, you go through to make it work, you know, at that moment felt worth it, you know, in a sense. So it was good. So how's the season going this year? I see that you've played 15 games. You got eight points already. Uh, are you a bit of a puck hog with the six goals and only two assists? What's the deal over there? <laughs> I, I don't know. I got to mix in some more apples. Oh my God. I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, I love scoring goals, that's for sure. I mean, that's something you always try to do. But, 
maybe my line mates will have a word with you and say, yeah, this guy can't pass. So I don't know. We're, we're bumping along. You know, our team's had a tough start. We, uh, we have some, some, I would say fairly big expectations with signing Chris Bork, who was a top player in this league and mm-hmm. bringing over Warsawski and Kari Ramo and net. And we've got off to it a little bit of a weird start. I would say probably under underperforming, but mm-hmm. It happens. I always say, you know, it's part of your story. And in the end, you know, if you turn it around, nobody will care how you start. Right. So we're 15 in. we got a big win last game and had a fun, fun road trip back. We're on the bus watching Red Zone all the time. We watched NFL on there and mm-hmm. it was nice. Nice to see people smile again. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, and don't don't feel bad. I mean, it, it, someone's got to be bossy on the bossy Friday, I think. So if you're Mike Bossy and you're scoring all the goals and it's no big deal. <laughs> well it's better than doing nothing i guess right. I mean, we, can, we can always we can always work on getting some more assists right so it's never easy putting the puck in the back of the net so at least i got something mm-hmm. we'll work on it you know i you know I'll, I'll get some extra time and maybe get some extra touches and tell the boys in my line that uh i could be a disher now too but no i'm kidding <laughs> I, I don't know fucking hockey's weird isn't it who knows just get chances them. Just tell them you're tired of scoring. That someone else has to pick up the pace, and you'll just you'll just dish it off to them. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying. I'm trying. Maybe it'll be an assist off a shot. That'll probably be it, right? I'll just keep shooting, and hopefully they get rebounds because maybe that'll be easier. That's it. And if they give you shit, just tell them it's their fault. Someone has to score, and if they're not pulling their weight, you got to do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no. I got good chemistry with the line I got here. It's been a blast. Like yeah. we've. We played as a line since last year, and that's nice. Like you said, like I'm usually changing teams year to year. It's been really, really nice to. I kept kept my same house in Germany, and you come back to some familiarity in hockey, which you don't get all the time, and keep the same line. We've been just rolling. You know, we stay together. We we play together now for 50, 60 games. I mean, we're not quite on the, we're not quite on the the identity line with the Islanders, but I'd like to say we're. <laughs> We're working our way, you know. We're working our way to be that, and uh, we all get along off the ice, and you know, it's been it's, it's been good. I'm lucky to have those guys. So, well, obviously, you know, if people have listened to the whole thing, uh, everyone knows you have a special relationship with that identity line, and uh, and they're red hot right yep. now. Once uh, you know, Maddie got back, and uh, they haven't missed a beat, so uh, so they look better than ever. So that's uh, that's something beautiful. I hope you're able to follow the team over there. Is that is that something you can do? Yeah, absolutely. I told you, I'm a, I'm a sneaky Islanders fan. You know, I'm always rooting for those guys. And I was talking to Zeke's after they just beat Vegas, right? Like yep. they got the two last wins on the road, and they finally get to go home. And mm-hmm. I know they had the two two days off. He was saying, and possibly a third. He said, so I'm not sure they got the third, but he was uh, he was pretty fired up. They were they were happy to get there. Obviously, it's hard for them. They yeah, you know, they started all this time on the road and gonna be pretty cool like do they i'm not sure how it works but they're going right into the new building here the next game no they basically they came back from vegas i think they i think they're home basically for a week except with the exception of one game i think um i want to say they go to nashville maybe but it's kind of like an in and out trip so they're actually going to be home with the families for a little bit and then um they go back out again they don't play at home uh till november 20th so really wow yep that's not. Yeah. So, hey, all I said is on this this first month and a half, if they come out of it 500, I'm fine with that because you got the backloaded home games here, and 
Are they, I said, if they come out of it 500, the rest of the league better take notice because, uh, you know, you get all those road games out of the way. And, uh, you know, listen, I for me, there's only one goal with this team right now, and I don't want to jinx it. So, but you know, so. No, I'm I'm on board, and I, I completely agree. I mean, you think, what are they doing? Starting 12 on the road? Is that I what think it, it is? Yeah, something like 12. Yeah, and the good thing is it's not 12. You know, it's not like this huge month and a half long road trip they do get to come home like i said they're home now for for a week or so you know with the exception yeah. of that one game but at least it's not on the road for six seven weeks in a row i mean you you can speak to this better than anybody when you come home right. for a couple of days and you have time uh you know yeah. especially the guys with families with kids and you know you've got like matt martin he's got the baby at home and and you just get right. to spend right. spend some time with the family it kind of recharges you so and they're basically uh, halfway done with it, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of weeks anyway. So, but the, I'll make sure I send you some pictures of the new building on opening night. Yeah, that, that's cool. Like, yeah, it, it, it's always good to get back. And like you said, when you got young kids, and that's a lot of times in sports, people don't, you know, it's a, from the fans' perspective, they sometimes tend to forget, you know, these guys are have families and it's hard on them when they're gone this long right so it's nice to see them get a little little time at home and those days off and they can reset and like you said if if they could survive this i mean look out because they're gonna they're gonna go into this new rink and it's gonna be unreal you know there's gonna be some good juice flowing and they're gonna be gonna be excited yeah. uh and having having that amount of games behind you on the road i mean for sure so we we hope joe we hope yeah, yeah. as isles fans let's say and I, I am a Leafs fan, but I'm a Sezikis fan and the Identity fan, so I uh, I hope they can pull through and, and get through it and get to that new rink and have some fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna excuse the Leafs thing because I know uh, I know your dad has some ties to that organization, and uh, you know the Leafs. You know, I mean, they're you got to kill the head of that snake over there uh, in order to rebuild. I mean, you have a choice between yeah. Lamarillo and Dubis and. Uh, you know, I know Dubis is uh, from everything I've heard seems to be like a really, really nice man and a good guy. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who you. I, I don't think picking anyone over Lamarillo and his pedigree is a smart move. But I guess time will tell. So time will tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have uh, I have the relationship to Kyle, so I can't yeah. uh, I can't say a bad word about well, him. And, 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 and yeah, I, and hope- I didn't. I didn't mean it that way. Obviously, I don't know the guy. Everything I've ever read about the guy is he's an absolute prince of a human being, which in the end yeah. is what what counts. Uh, uh, the, the human right. is what counts. He, I yeah. almost feel like he's. Let, let me come at it from this way, where I don't, I don't want it to sound derogatory. I almost feel like he was put in a no-win situation in the biggest hockey market in the world. The team gets rid of a legend gives him the reins and anything short of a Stanley cup is, is never going to go well in Toronto. So, so let me, let me put it that way because I didn't mean to, to insult him. That's not where I was going with it. It was almost like you really, it's an unenviable task because if you don't win the cup, nothing else, nothing else matters up there. So that's really, that's really what I meant. I wasn't trying to insult the guy. I'm just saying that's almost a no win situation unless you win the cup. No, I, yeah, I, I get it. And yeah. It's not easy coming in behind Lou. And I guess what I would say is, you know, it's always going to be tough for the Leafs, regardless of who he falls and, you know, what situation. And the Leafs are going to be the Leafs, and it's going to yeah. be pressure. And you're not going to feel anywhere else in the world. But, you know, knowing Kyle and the people I do know in the organization, obviously right now, you know, it's uh, 
it's not not easy in Leafland. So, you know, all things all things worth it are never easy. So right. I would assume that Kyle feels the same way. And let's, you know, I guess from a standpoint of him being a friend, I yeah, I really hope they can they can pull through this tough time. But yeah, I, I would say Kyle would say the same thing. You know, you, you come in after Lou, it's never going to be simple. But <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's up for the task. He's a good hockey mm-hmm. mind. So let's let's just hope he. Let's hope they both do well, Joe. Just to keep it politically correct, we'll just say we hope the Leafs and the Islanders can do do on a, do on a decent level here because I got ties to both. So at well, least for I, me, I can be that way. You don't have to be that way, but that's my no. My I, and you yeah. know what? I, I I will say this for anyone anyone familiar with me. Uh, I do have ties to the Leafs right now too, as uh, I consider Dean Chenault a friend. So obviously, I I want. I want the Leafs to do somewhat well. And actually, it's not even, you know, to be honest with you, it's not even the team. It's more the fans on social media that are just com- right, right. nut jobs. It's not, it's really not the boys <laughs> at all. And, you know, with, with Dino there now, uh, you know, I hope that they do somewhat well. Obviously, I don't, I'm an Islander fan. I want them to win all the time. I don't want the Leafs to win the cup. But, uh, right. but yeah, no, I, I, it, it's, uh, the Leafs are one of those teams that I always keep an eye on because, you know, they hired Dean in the offseason and I'm, you know, personally, I'm glad he's in a place that likes, that can appreciate hockey as opposed to being in Carolina. I think they have their their core base of hardcore fans there, but it's nothing like being in Toronto. So, uh, so I'm glad he's back in Canada there, and they could have some success, but uh, <laughs> not not the ultimate success. How about that? I can take it, Joe. We can take it. It's no problem. <laughs> one way, one way or the other. Listen, I mean, my ties to Sezikis are as strong as any any on earth. So, yeah. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Oh, I'll I'll even go one more thing that's going to get me in hot water. I actually still okay. like I still like Johnny T. Uh, I do. I don't like the way things went down here. Um, but <laughs> I but I don't. You know what? I don't put that all on him. And you and I could discuss that another time. I've always said I think Garth Snow is uh, a culpable in the way uh, Johnny T left here. But uh, on a personal level, John was always first class with me. So uh, and I'm at that age now where you know. The name John Tavares and, and any of these guys are not just names in fantasy hockey. Uh, you know, getting to know the individual, John was always really great to me. So I can never, I can never just, uh, you know, just dismiss the guy. So, uh, and I know I'm the unicorn in terms of Islander fans with that, but but I still like John yeah. a lot. So, uh, and I'm not afraid to say that. So, but uh, well, you but, might yeah. you might take some you might take some heat, but that's all right. I mean, it's uh, listen. I mean, uh, John. You know, it was, it was interesting you brought that up because I was wondering. I said, you know, I thought you'd ask me more about John, you know, being that we grew up a little yeah. bit together there being younger. But I thought, you know, maybe he's still pissed off. But if no. you know him, like you said, you know, if you know him like you do, yeah. like he's he's a first-class human being. Like yeah. he'll, you know, as as hard as that was for the Islanders fans and and, and understandably and, and probably as hard as it was for John, mm-hmm. um, because he really did care so much about the Islanders. I mean, and you can't ask you can't ask more of John than the way he carries himself as a pro and his willingness to help people. And his, like I said, his his humility for a guy that's a superstar is, I'm telling you, it's it's on a different level. I mean, uh, rarely do you see people as big as John and act the way he does. I mean, you know, I called him for a few different instances of, you know, charity work, and he's always always answers with a yes and if i need a jersey to auction he sends it you know if you know my dad ran a hockey camp and we needed someone to come sign autographs john was there and uh he's always been that way so i have a soft spot for john and 
and obviously uh, sounds like you you know him well enough to understand too. Well, and the thing, I, there's really not too much. Here, here would have been the line of questioning, questioning and asking, and correct me if I'm wrong. John is an all-world type player, but he's so mellow. Like, there's no – it's not like I'm asking yeah. you, hey, what's John Tavares like off the ice? Like, Sean – it's not like I'm asking you about Sean Avery. Like, John just seems right. to be this right. quiet kid who just happens to be really good at what he does, you know? Like, uh, yeah. so that – that yeah. it didn't seem like there'd be a lot of questions there. And like I said, I don't have any any real animosity towards him, so I didn't want you to go, yeah, John's a real prick. I, I know – I can just imagine John is the quiet kid in school, and when he gets on the ice, he's just this animal. So that's probably why I, I didn't really ask you too much about him because I think I may yeah. have just summed it up in two sentences. I think I think you're spot on there. I think that John, <laughs> if if I describe him, I would say identical to what you said. You know, I always say about John, he he has no no interest, like literally just zero interest in the fame, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that stuff he he doesn't. I would say he doesn't enjoy and he's just a hockey player. He loves the game. Like he just loves playing hockey. He's the kind of person that would, you know, he would, he just wants to play. And and if, if he could play hockey at the level he's playing without anybody bothering him or knowing him, he'd be just fine with that. (laughs) You know, that's just the way he is. He loves the game. He wants to win. And and like I said, as a pro, like you've never seen anything the way this guy takes care of his body. Every decision he makes is the right one. Uh, A a true leader in, in that sense. So, like I always say in these interviews, the first question I always ask is, uh, you know, who did you, who were you uh, as a kid? And obviously with you, uh, it was obvious who the answer is going to be. And the last question that I always ask is, um, is there anything I, I didn't touch on in your career? Is there anything I forgot? Is there anything that you would like to bring up that I didn't touch on? Uh, the floor is yours. No, I, th- I think what I said, and, I, and I've been talking to a family that have listened to the first part, and they're just astounded at, uh, at the research and time you put into it. And I think that's hugely important for these kind of things, that if you want to get you know, to the bottom of things, it, it's best to know, you know everything you possibly can, which you do. Um, I don't think you miss much, you know, and, I, and I'm sure that's a common theme with, with most of the people you're interviewing because you do put a lot of care into it. Um, I, w- I would say that if... You know, if I had the floor and if I was going to say one thing, it wouldn't be about myself. But just like I said, we, we touched on it, uh, you know, at points in this interview about playing the NHL and, and the different paths that everybody have. And I guess that would be the way I'd like to leave it is that uh, everybody has a different story, as we talked about, um, you know, and, and if you have a dream and if you if you stick to it and you really care and you're willing to do the things that nobody else would do, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, where you're at when you're 15, 14, 16, you know, just maintain that level, you know, where you believe in yourself no matter what, and uh, all things are possible. And I know coming from me, I only played the two games, but, um, you know, listen, it's it's possible. And, and that goes for life in general, too, that uh, it, it doesn't matter where you're at at one point. You can always pull yourself out of it. And the bottom line is if you always rely on yourself and your base is work ethic, then, uh, I believe that good things will always continue to happen and specifically good things will happen to good people. So, well, that was awesome. And, and it <laughs> don't ever say you only played the two games in the NHL because in most rooms in the world, obviously not when you're in your dad's living room, 
playing two games in the <laughs> NHL is more than 99% of the world will ever do. So, uh, and I know you look yeah. back on that with pride, so I don't need to tell you to be proud of that. And, and like I said, I know you look back on that. And like I said, maybe dad will give you a little grief if you ever compare the <laughs> number of games, especially when he hears about uh, what you said about his golf game and, and how you just usually crush him. So maybe he'll give you a little grief, but, uh, but man, you live yeah. the dream that a lot of us, uh, a lot of us would uh, love to do. And, uh, you know, I love your story. I, I love how you never gave up and how you kept working. And uh, on a personal level, I just want to thank you again for the insane amount of time you've given me, especially with the six-hour time difference, the fact that you're in season. And I, I just want to appreciate, uh, you know, that your wife was able to spare you for this time with the two little girls at home. And I just want to say thank you again for, for everything here, Brandon. I really appreciate it. No, th- thanks a lot, Joey. Uh, you, you know, on the flip side, like I said, the time you put into it also means a lot because it it doesn't feel like a waste of time when I'm talking to you. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going back and, you know, I, uh, anytime, anytime. And if you ever need help with, uh, with other people or getting other people on, I'll always do my best for you. Well, thanks. I appreciate that, Brandon. So uh, with that, I will, uh, I will say goodbye and wish you best of luck on the rest of the season. And I'm sure we'll definitely keep in touch uh, with our Islander connection here. Okay, take care. Go Isles. Thank you to Brandon DeFazio for your time. I had a blast chatting with you. I hope that you people enjoyed the conversation as well. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and liking the show on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you like it enough, please consider rating and reviewing the show. So until next week, you people out there, please stay safe. (music) 